With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to bring to you my next guest to the podcast. He spent 12 years as a United States Marine Special Operations or MARSOC Raider with five deployments. He's the founder of the Raider Project, a 501c3 focusing on successful veteran transition into the civilian world. He's the owner of Alexander Industries, the author of Excommunicated Warrior, The Seven Stages of Transition, which will be the focus of today's episode. He's a husband, a father, patriot, and veteran advocate. His beard was Leonidas's stunt double in the movie 300, but don't fucking call him Spartacus. Welcome to the stage, Nick. K, and I'm going to let you pronounce <laughs> it in the most authentic Greek fashion for the listener. That would be kumalatsos. Kumalatsos, which uh, sounds easier to say than, uh, than what it looks like, but uh, a, a very unique name in terms of where you come from, which is the uh, origin of some of the lightning round questions that I have, which, uh, which I am fascinated about, as well as I think... Our society is a little bit fascinated with uh, with Greek and and you know the the culture of Sparta, if you will, uh, from those movies and just some from some of the folklore, which has to be cool having that as a, as a absolutely. Background. But <laughs> it's just no very... different than like the the Northern European Viking heritage type thing, you know. But uh, very yeah. similar though. Yeah, that that con those concepts are very yeah. very similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, before we get started in that, that uh, infamous lightning round, I'd like to thank Origin Labs, uh, our sponsor for the Mic Drop podcast, maker of all of Jocko's products as well as their own line of supplements. They make jeans, boots, and uh, jujitsu geese as well as some other stuff. Check them out. And again, big thank you to Origin Labs. Uh, how long does it take to get your beard ready for the day? Well, with my patented Johnny Slicks formula, it takes about thirty seconds. You have a you have a patented Johnny Slicks beard formula. It's one of our, it's one of our companies. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. God, I love it. Can you uh, describe that product? What like is it a fucking balm or what? Yeah. So we so I partnered with a, another Marine. He he actually hounded me for. He's gonna love that this is the first thing yeah. that we're talking about. <laughs> he hounded me for like six months, yeah. and you just one of those Instagram things. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, sure, buddy, sure. Yeah. Um, but anyways, it, he was making product on his own, and then we partnered, and it just blew up. Yeah. I mean, we did six figures our first year, but it's a it's a whole line of grooming products. Oh shit. Yeah. So. Goddamn. Body wash and. Yeah. 
fucking yeah. Johnny Slick's music. What's it called? Like Beard Slick or what? It's a, we, well, yeah, it's called, uh, it's organic. It's all organic um, and true organic, not yeah. like natural, but true yeah. organic. And uh, he cooks, we, we built a lab yeah. and he cooks all his own products. And so we make pomade and all kinds of stuff. And it sounds like some shit out of Breaking Bad, the way you describe it. So it's funny you say <laughs> that because we actually, we, we call it cooking. Yeah. And we pretty much use all those, the little like it's cutaways, Breaking Bad cutaways yeah. in, uh, that's fucking great. in the commercials. God, that's awesome. We'll have to check that shit out. Uh, this one comes from my daughter. She likes to ask uh, a question of every guest, and it's usually a totally random question, which I think is kind of funny. But uh, what's the worst food you've ever eaten overseas? Uh, you had bugs in Thailand. What, uh, what kind of bugs were they? Do you remember? Uh, crickets, cockroaches. The cockroaches has got to be the worst. Yeah. Were they fried or just straight fucking raw? They were or? fried, but they, they like had that, they had that squishy. Yeah. Like a fucking loogie. Yeah. Like a warm, salty, <laughs> bloody loogie. Yeah. Um, who doesn't <laughs> love swallowing that shit? <laughs> yeah. It's no wonder women have that problem. Moving on, the uh, so here's here's one of my favorites. What is your favorite aspect of your Greek heritage, minus th being able to throw babies off of cliffs if they don't make the grade? <laughs> do, you, do you want to bring that back? <laughs> Man, I, that's that runs so deep. I, I think that it has to do that's what with. She said. <laughs> I think that has to do with the like going back to like you know twenty five hundred years ago, our ancestors just being warriors. And you, you kind of brought up the Spartan thing, but, uh, you know, th that story, I think people, I mean, people really dig it, right? But they don't, I don't think they grasp th how important that story is. Yeah. I mean, we would probably all be Muslim if Leonidas and his, you know, the 2,500 Greeks didn't do their thing. Because at that point in history, there was nothing west of that to stop the Persian Empire. Yeah. I mean, if they would have gone through Greece, it, they would have gone all the way to England and yeah. that, it would have been over. Yeah. And so like, I think that warrior spirit and uh, just that kind of like that, the kind of last stand that come and take it kind of mentality. Yeah. It, it started there. Well, I mean, obviously it's impossible to know, you know, how that, how the, the story at this point, you know, so many years later, how it actually contrasts to, to how it went down. But at least in the movie and and the book and and any other historical representation of that, uh, you know that that highlight of history, if you will, um, focuses also on a problem that, you know, I have no doubt even from then and and all the way up until now and and everywhere in between has continued to exist, which is the the contrast between the the warrior society and and the people that make up the fabric of a culture and then. The fucking politicians that uh, <laughs> right. you know, even back then, right. were you know fucking corrupt and you know ulteriorly motivated and were happy to fuck over their fellow man if it meant that you know they could get more money or power, even if it was the destruction of their civilization. They didn't give a fuck. Again, how accurate is that versus something that's maybe you know a little bit assumed to to make? So I've problem? actually been there multiple times. Yeah, like I've actually I bathed in the hot gates. I walked the grounds. I've I was I stood right there where they made their last stand. How was that? Uh, it's pretty wild. Yeah, it's pretty wild to see the terrain and how much it's changed. But you, they have like a little memorial there. It's not much. It's a statue. They have a Greek um, marble thing up on the mountain in the ground where it basically has his last um, his last message. That actually they they kind of wrote it 
in a way in the movie where he told the captain, hey, go tell him that 300 Spartans lie dead here yeah. you know, for the benefit of all Greece. And, and they did kind of have it right. Uh, you know, back then, Greece was in city-states. They weren't, it wasn't a unified Greece. Unified Greece didn't come till after that. And uh, so it's just, you know, 300 of his best men and then 2,000, you know, other Greeks were up there. And um, to, to stand there and to watch, the th it was three different battles or lines and to see how they got pushed back and where they stood and where they actually, like, made their last stand and fought them off. Yeah. It, it was is wild. Yeah, how how accurate is the especially the movie because that's without question how it's been most popularized. But how how accurate is just the depiction of the landscape where it happened in contrast to what it actually looks like? Um, different. Is it a lot like a lot different? Like this doesn't look anything like it. Or, I mean, I guess can, like, you got to say it's got to understand it's twenty five hundred years, so the yeah. water receded a lot. Yeah. So where the water used to be up on t to the mountain, so it, it, it used to be the water pushed all the way up into the edge of the mountains. Yeah. And then you had this kind of like road where now they actually have a road. The, the actual highway is actually built there. Yeah. Um, so and they do have that in the on the memorial on the plate when you go to Thermopylae. It, it shows like this is where you you are and this yeah. is where the water used to be. Oh, okay. Um, but it wasn't this very like dramatic yeah. cliff face and then this yeah. like it, what what it was was like where the the mountain meets the water. Yeah. So they had this basically they had you know like a hundred foot yeah. space to fight in. Yeah. Um, Fucking choke point. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, for uh, for the movie, it's exaggerated for cinematic yeah. value. But, uh, yeah, I was curious. And it seems like a neat place. I'd love to see it sometime. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've been a fan of, of that element of uh, historical culture, uh, you know, as long as I've known about it. It's pretty neat shit. Um, what is your favorite cheat meal? Pizza. Any particular brand or yeah, type? Michelangelo's Pizza right down the road from my house. It's like right? a New York style pizza. Well, goddamn. Yeah. Fucking plug to Michelangelo's, huh? <laughs> uh, what uh, What was your first job in high school? My first job. So I was in high school. I started working when I was 11 years old. Jesus, fucking child labor laws. Where are you at? What happened? It's Florida, man. <laughs> <laughs> they don't give a shit. <laughs> what were you doing? Uh, I was actually the first job. I was actually uh, washing dishes for my mom. My mom uh, started a movie theater in Panama City Beach, and uh, I started frying food and 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 washing dishes for them. Yeah. And then that moved into right after that, I, I got a job busting tables. Yeah. At uh, a diner. When uh, when you were busting or washing dishes, did you ever eat off the fucking plates coming in? I did not. Really? I, am I the only fucked up, twisted bastard? <laughs> no, as messed up as now is after, after being a Marine. Now <laughs> I would do that as an adult. <laughs> Fucking classic. God, the Marines gotta love them. Uh, what's your favorite music band? Oh, that's so hard. You're trying to put me in a box. Yeah. Uh, if I had to just, if I had to pick with one right now, it's gonna say I'm gonna probably say Coulter Wall. Really? Yeah. What uh, What is it about? Uh, He's like a he's like a new Johnny Cash really? almost. I, I've heard the name. I don't I don't know that I've heard any of his stuff, but uh, shit, I'll have to check. It I out. think some bad shit happened to him because he's only yeah. like twenty one or twenty two years old, <laughs> but he sounds like he's yeah. fifty six. Been and... smoking for thirty years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what's the best gun you own? A Glock. Glock what? It, does it matter? I mean, to me, it does. To, I, I, to the listener, for let's, sure. Let's go with the Glock nineteen. Glock nineteen. That's hard to beat. Good old trusty. <laughs>
Uh, and then last but certainly not least, this is uh, for everybody. Uh, what is your morning routine? And this is outside of traveling, just, you know, your home in town, normal day. What, uh, what time do you get up? What do you do the first couple hours, et cetera? Uh, I, wake, I like to wake up early. Um, my body hurts, which yeah. I'm sure we'll talk hey, about. Amen. And uh, so I like to make some coffee, and then I like to get in my hot tub. Really? Yeah. And I like to drink hot coffee in the hot tub. Jesus, even in the summer, huh? In the summer. God damn. Yeah, but, long, long <laughs> but I do it, I get up before the sun comes up. Oh, okay. So it's not like, because so once, once the sun comes up at my house, because the sun comes up on the backside where the hot tub is. Yeah, it's too fucking it, hot. Oh, man. Yeah. You, you'll die. Yeah. What, uh, I, I guess I'm assuming you must get up then at what, 4.30 or 5 or what? Yeah. yeah. Five, five something, especially when the, because I like to get my time done because I got, I like to drive. Now that I'm not in the military and I work for myself, uh, one of the best parts of my day is driving my daughter to school. Yeah. So I like to get all my shit done, um, do some hot tub, morning cardio, and then drive her, drive a little bit to school. What does morning cardio look like? Uh, just some boring ass sweating. Like a I mean, uh, rower or fucking bike or? Yeah, whatever. whatever. Stair stepper, stair mill. <laughs> thigh master. Uh, yeah, thigh master. <laughs> What's the tug thing? Yeah. The, the shake, shake weight. weight. Thigh, yeah. thigh 20, master while you're doing the shake yeah, weight 20, between the thigh 20 master. minutes of shake weight in the morning. <laughs> oh, that's fucking brilliant. Uh, in terms of your diet, you, and we'll talk about some of the, the lessons learned in, during your transition phase in the book, but now knowing, you know, kind of how important it is between, you know, rest, you know, proper rest and working out right and, uh, you know, fueling your body is also uh, every bit as important. Is there a, a specific diet or diet-like program that you prescribe to? Yeah, subscribe I, to? I, um, I really try to follow macros now. As I've gotten older, uh, actually, I'll, I'll throw, uh, throw a Navy SEAL a bone here. Yeah. Um, Stu Smith said in one of the T- TSAT conferences, he's like, you cannot out-train your, your age or your diet. You cannot, as you get older, you cannot out-train your diet. Yeah. And, you know, you know, like being in your 20s and being in a team, like you literally could drink as much and eat yeah. as whatever you want and you would be ripped and yeah. and, and jacked and show go. up hung over and do a fucking run, swim, run. And <laughs> not like it's nothing. Yeah. 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 And uh, smoke a cigarette afterwards, yeah. you know, and those days are long gone. Fuck so yeah, I really yeah. had to tighten up. I really had to tighten up exactly what I'm eating and really get down to the scientific portion of, yeah. you know, how much protein, how much carbs and how much fat that my body needs for a specific goal. Yeah. And so that's kind of where it goes. Yeah. In turn, I mean, so counting macros obviously is important, you know, how much is going in versus how much you're expending, uh, you know, is a big part of it, which even that's fucking debatable. I've seen people like, yeah, it doesn't matter what, how many calories you eat. It's, it's how <laughs> quality they are or not. And it's like, I don't know how that could quite well, be shit totally in, shit accurate, out. But in my mind. On the same token, um, if, just in terms of counting macros, do you go for you know a lower carb or you know super high protein or no, high fat? No, for, for me personally, I try to go lower carb and, and, and lower fat, and I think that's just what works for me. I mean, I've done, I've I've experimented with so many different things over the years, and uh, what works best with me is almost like a Mediterranean diet, almost yeah. like what what Greeks eat: so fish, yeah. chicken, turkey. Um, and vegetables. Yes, I, I would have thought, you know, Mediterranean-wise seems, at least everything I've seen, is that it's generally higher in fat with olives and olive oil and yeah. fat cheese and shit like that. I just but, keep that to a minimum. Yeah. Because I, I, lower fat seems, I seem to just operate better. Now, huh. for the brain function, though, that's where that's where your fat comes into play. So I eat feta, I eat olives, I eat all that stuff, but I'm not, like, crushing 300 milligrams of, yeah. or 300 uh, grams of fat. Yeah, doing shots day. of olive oil before <laughs> yeah. you go to sleep. 
Um, but I listen to my body, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like if I, you have certain cravings or if I'm craving olives or I'm craving some sort of olive oil or fat, like I just, I do it Yeah. because you, your brain's telling you like yeah. you need carbs, you need fat, you need something. Yeah. You know? Do you do any type of resistance training later in the day or are you just... I, so I really can't, I've tried to do resistance training in the morning and my body just doesn't respond. No, I'm the same way. I, I work out usually at night, honestly, like before dinner is usually when I work out. But I can run in the morning. I can yeah. do any sort of cardio. I can turn, I can turn my brain off and do cardio in the morning, yeah. intervals or whatever, but actually like picking up heavy weight. Yeah. I can't do it. Yeah. yeah at all. Huh? Until, and, and, until the afternoon. Yeah. So do you typically try to do that in the afternoon? Yeah. 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 So you may get two a day sometimes. Most of the time, mostly. it's two-a-days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in terms of growing up and family life, just to provide a little context uh, before your military service, where, where did you grow up and what was your family life like as a kid? <laughs> Already getting the laughs. Okay, so, so um, I have this joke that basically I think that my mother, um, who's now also, I'll plug her, she's also a, a, a published author um, and hit the New York Times bestseller list, one of her books, um, River Jordan. I, th I think that she was running from the cops because I feel like we, we moved we moved every six months. Have you ever asked her about it? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean she. I mean, I, realistically, it was you know jobs. She was a single mom. Uh, my parents separated when I was really young, uh, before I even remember. So we literally were on the move like every six months. Was it like on the move regionally or within a certain? Area? Oh no, like from the West Coast to the all over Florida oh, wow. to Kansas City to all you know like God everywhere. Damn. Where were you born? I was born in South Florida in Hollywood, yeah. um, Broward County, and then it, th that's when the show started. Yeah, until I was about, I think eleven or twelve, is when we went back to Panama City, and then I stayed there for the rest of the time until I joined the Marine Corps. Yeah, but growing up those young those early years, fucking three ring circus. Oh my god, I, yeah. it got to a point to where she was like, "Why haven't you unpacked?" And I was like, "Well, we're just gonna leave again." <laughs> so I would just leave all my shit in a box. Yeah. And like, it's probably the saddest thing to see your yeah. kid. Like, no, no mom, no. we're leaving. Well, I remember one time we woke up, I woke up and she could be like, you're totally wrong. This is just my memory. I remember waking up in the car and I was like, where are we? And she's like, we're, we're driving. We were, we lived in Pensacola at the time. And then I woke up in our 19, I don't know, 79 white Toyota Corolla. And, uh, and we're on our way to Phoenix, Arizona. She's oh, like, shit. we're moving. Yeah. I'm like, I'm in the car. I'm like, yeah. okay, I guess we're moving again. I mean, I guess the, <laughs> the, the one way a parent could look at that is uh, you could appreciate uh, how pragmatic your child is if they, if they keep their shit in the box. But yes, agreed, <laughs> that's, a, that's a sad way to grow up. <laughs> but if you don't know any better uh, or have anything to contrast it to. But you know what that did? That did, Mike, was like, I am super flexible about travel. I don't have like all these weird, you know how people have like, they, I don't know, they're so soft. People are so soft. They have to have everything just the way they need it. Yeah. And then like the air temperature and then like the way that they sleep and they can't sleep in a, in a, I mean, that's why like, I guess the military worked for me because you get in a squad bay and it, it wasn't a problem for me. It was yeah. like the way I grew up. Yeah. And, uh, people are just so soft with that sort of thing. And yeah. now I'm, I can go anywhere with limited, you know, stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's funny. I mean, in terms of the childhood experience, mine was about a polar opposite. Uh, like I literally, I lived in the same bedroom my entire fucking life. So leave it a beaver set up. Yeah. I mean, it really was <laughs> like my, my family and parents were got along almost to a degree with which you're like, is there, is this like a, 
fucking CIA project where you guys are like fake parents. <laughs> the Truman Show. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like, what in the fuck? Like, they never argued. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I was in the same fucking bedroom for 17 years before I joined the Navy. That's so wild. Um, and similarly, but, you know, to me, it, there was no no problem bouncing around and living out of a bag and whatever. I, I will say, as I get older and my body hurts more and and I become probably more bitter, cynical, and cranky and, and pissed at life. <laughs> old, old man syndrome. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I found myself more particular than I was about, you know, sleeping a certain way and making sure I have what I want and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But uh, for me, it just it helps me be a little more productive, I think. But, but I, you know, I certainly know the types that you're talking about. Like, I wanted only the green Skittles, you know, <laughs> yeah. get this shit out of my face. Um, did you have uh, any siblings in that environment? I did. So my my dad went on and had my uh, and got remarried and had my had my sister. And then um, a couple years, uh, three or four years after me, my, my brother was born from a separate. So I have two halves. Yeah. Um, so I grew up mainly with my brother. Oh, OK. Yeah. And uh, were there in terms of uh, stepdads, were there any step stepdads in your life? Several. Several. So any uh, tumultuous fucking deal? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't think I've ever publicly talked about it, but there's one of the husbands that my mom had. And she's like, I think she's she's sorry for it for (laughs) for the rest of her life, which is totally fine. You want to be sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I don't don't want her to be sorry. (laughs) It's all okay now because it it builds grit. But yeah, he was I guess to say he was abusive would be an understatement. Really? Yeah. Unfortunately, how, how was he abused? Like just physically, physically. Yeah, just beat your ass. Oh yeah, yeah. But like not in like a like you beat your kid's ass because they need to be beat. Like beat not in the right way. Yeah, like a, like he's beating another grown ass man. Yeah, and and uh, like getting you you know getting drugged through down the hallway by your hair and yeah. and uh, the 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 straw that broke the camel's back, which is actually I think why she divorced him was uh, uh I I got. I woke up being thrown through the closet door. Jesus. Yeah. What did you do to, des- to quote unquote deserve that? Like, what was the justification? Did he have one or he just uh, not? Didn't get up. Didn't move fast enough. Something like yeah. I don't know. Was didn't... it a, a situation where like he was fucking miserable and took his shit yeah. out? So yeah. it wasn't like he was no, just he was super a, strict. No, he was a miserable human being. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, sometimes I think it stems from just people have unrealistic high standards and they're like you know the dishes aren't clean enough and it's slamming no, you know, it was, but yeah it was, no it was just he just come in and take shit out on you yeah yeah basically and i was older and uh he didn't do that with my brother um he was more of an emotional game with him yeah um but yeah he and that was actually the, the straw that broke the camel's back was i i remember he, i was 11 years old and he did that and it was the first time i fought back really and when I fought back, it caused such a ruckus in the house that everybody realized what was going on. Yeah. And uh, it got broken up, and I jumped out the window and, and never saw him again. God damn. That was it. Well, I'm he, assu- he was gone that day. Yeah. My mom was like, okay, you're Fucking out. Fucking beat it. Yeah. I'm assuming so there's been no, no contact with him at all. Since. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. No. Does, I mean, does he have any idea who you are? I don't even know if he's alive. Yeah. Be, it'd be interesting to meet him now and be like, hey, fuck face. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Remember hey, me? Shithead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Guess what? Payback's a bitch. Uh, so with Put bounce, your mouth on this curb for me yeah, real no quick. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Let's have a chat. I am. I mean, so like in that, you know, fluid of an environment, we'll say, uh, was playing sports or having any type of 
normalized childhood activities that you did regularly was that I'm assuming that wasn't part of no that wasn't part of that wasn't the way I grew up um my mom worked most most times she worked two jobs so it was me and my brother kind of left to our own at 11 I started working um and that was really it for me and then that's when I started to get in I mean I probably should have gone <clears throat> I mean I say you, should, you can't say should have or anything um I started getting in trouble joined a gang started <laughs> what kind of gang it was just a you know like you know the whole like bloods crips thing how do like, they, they let a fucking greek white guy into it yeah it was actually a white <laughs> gang it was a white people gang i don't even want to go into the no, name but fucking classic. Um, it was a gang that started out in the west coast and then went to las vegas and then some guys from las vegas moved to florida and then you know what was the mission statement like was there was Make there one? money? That's it. Just fucking. That's that was the, the sole purpose of it. Was yeah. It was. I mean, they really. They that was kind of it. They. It was kind of a. I don't know. It was a money game. Yeah. Really. Was it a, a crew? Was it um, a mixed race, or were they specific about it only being? No, it was pretty. It was it was white people. Yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't like uh, what's that shit called? The white supremacy. It wasn't white supremacist at all. It was just the way that it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And um, fucking gangbanger sitting across the desk. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> because of that, within a year of that, I had two felonies. No shit. Yeah, and, and the Marines still fucking. Well, that's a whole other process. Yeah, I get that question a lot. Yeah, but I had two what, felonies. What, and I, what were and, the felonies for? Um, burglary of a conveyance, and then <laughs> weapon on school property. So the reason why the weapon on school property turned into a felony is because I was already on probation. Was it a gun or a knife? It was a knife. It was yeah. a butterfly knife. Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> They, they they caught me with it, and because I was, like, on probation. So this here's what's fucked up is this is how stupid of a kid I was. So I get kicked out of – this is – we're talking middle school. Jesus. Like, sixth, seventh grade. So the sixth grade, I get kicked out of middle school, and then because I got arrested multiple times in the school, and they were like, kid, you got to go. Yeah. And you're just causing problems here. And then I – went to they wouldn't even take me to the next school over i had to go to like two or three schools over like we lived on the beach in panama city beach and i went to i went to a middle school in lynn haven yeah. which is like yeah a 45 minutes an hour away well, there's a fucking shopping mall there right yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay i used to go there when i was in a school but so finally they took me and then i'm on probation i had like i had to check in with the resource officer i had to check in my i was doing community service and then he, and here I am, this gangbanger with a butterfly knife, and they catch me. God so it's damn. like, boom, second felony. Yeah. And I'm in surprised. Florida, it, it's a three-strike rule. Yeah. But, so they counted as felonies even at that age. I, I don't remember how exactly that played out, but it was. And mm. I, it, I didn't realize how bad it was until I became an adult. Yeah. And they were still on my record as an adult. No shit. They did not close out. So even now they're still on there? No. Oh, okay. No, yeah. I took care of them now. Yeah. God damn. Yeah. Um, so what, I mean, so this was junior high or middle school, whatever. And mm -hmm. then, so as you get into high school, describe the, the high school process in conjunction with your decision to, to join the, so, the Marines and, and how that happened. So after my second, my second trip to juvie, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I feel like, oh, I remember what it was. Juvie, the second time I went, I got rolled up and had to go to juvie. Juvie was full, and they sent me to county. Oh God! With grown ass men, and oh, I'm like, and I'm like 12 years old. Jesus, it, where was this? In Bay County, Florida. God damn! And I'm, <laughs> and it was just a holding cell, like nothing. I didn't get just so anybody's listening. I didn't get violated or anything. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. 
Um, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Not that I remember. <laughs> but that was a huge wake-up call for me. I was like, because, I mean, we're talking scumbags. Yeah. Like adult scumbags. So that, that actually was more effective than the punishment was just seeing the other people in there? Well, it was just like, here I am, a 12-year-old child yeah. with a, in, in county lockup with a bunch of actual like grown-up cons. Yeah. And I'm like, this is not for me. Yeah. Like, this is not for me. And, uh, and then <laughs> some, girls, some girls came into my life when I was doing community service that were like goody two-shoe girls. Well, and, so uh, I already know where that's going. Then. Yeah. This is good, the, the twice convicted felon bad boy likes so that. That got you laid in high school. There we go. <laughs> that's, that's it. And then these girls, they, uh, you know how it is. They saw, yeah. they saw me as a project. Yeah. We, can, we can fix him. Yeah, let's change that fucker. Or at so, least piss your dad off. So, but so that's actually what happened. Like I kind of, you know, drugs and alcohol and the gang and felonies. By the time I was 14, man, I was like, I was straight and narrow. Wow. Like but, fucking got a full life of, ex of real world experience. Yeah. And like when, when kids were freaking out at, you know, 15 and drinking and trying to sneak out of their house, I was, I was over it. Yeah, I was like, no, I'm good, man. Fucking child Bush league shit. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks. God damn. <laughs> Um, so what uh, what was the turning point in turn as far as saying you know what I want to join the military and, and how did how did you join because you came in at twenty right no uh, no eighteen nineteen, 19. really eighteen nineteen but um, it wasn't that simple because I because I straightened my life up at the age of fourteen um, I started working obviously working really hard by the time I was sixteen I was working two jobs and and making for a sixteen year old I was making anywhere from four to 10 grand a month. Jesus. I was, uh, Bay, I was working at the Bay Point Marriott as a bellman from, well, before that, from 6 a.m. to 2, I was doing audio-visual technical consulting for uh, the conference center. So setting up lights and mics and all that kind of stuff, power projectors, and then <clears throat> at 2, and then at 2.30, I would be a bellman from 2.30 to 10, all cash. Jesus. And, and that was the summer. That was my summer after the tenth, my 10th grade year. I finished 10th grade. I did that for the summer. And then it was time to go back to my 11th grade year. And I was like, I feel like this is a bad business decision. <laughs> I was like, I can't do this. So I, um, I, I kind of trick fucked myself. I went and got my GED and then went and continued to work. But then something happened where I was like, here I am 16, turning about to turn 17. I had my own place out on the beach. I'm like, is this it? Is this life? I just work two jobs forever and yeah. grow and, and just live on the beach. Yeah. I, I was immediately bored, even though I had money and things were overall going well. It was just, I needed something more because I, what I saw was if I continued down this road, I will be doing this for the rest of my life. Yeah. And that scared the shit out of me. Yeah. And that's when I completely turned my life upside down and like, I quit my jobs. Um, I, I went, I actually moved in with my, I got rid of the house. I moved in with my grandmother and I started the process of trying to join the Marine Corps. When they first, when I first walked in, they laughed at me. Really? Yeah. Just because of your record or? Yeah. Yeah. I was a GED. I was a high school dropout. Uh, I was a convicted felon. And I figured the Marines would be like, you're exactly what the fuck we're looking for. You would think so, right? No, <laughs> yeah. man. Those dickheads are like, no, we want a, are you, are you an Eagle Scout? Yeah. Like <laughs> the army would have taken me. I could have gone and joined the army if I wanted to. Cause this was just before nine 11, right? 
This was in 2000. This was Clinton was still. Yeah. Clinton was still yeah. president. Yeah, I mean, that's why, I guess. But Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast. With first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained covering ufos cryptids conspiracies and the paranormal real people real encounters so come with us on the journey into the unknown ufo chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps i'll see you soon Well, I mean, it, I mean, I know. I mean, yeah, I, the war hadn't kicked off, so yeah. they, we wouldn't like try yeah. to suck up bodies. Yeah, I mean, I came in in '96, and there was a lot of things that weren't available. They're just like, yeah, yeah we have enough people for that already. Mm-hmm. Pick something else. And I was like, well, goddamn. Um, was there a specific reason why you picked the Marines, Vice, any other service? I looked at everything. Uh, my grandfather was actually a um, a paratrooper in Korea and Vietnam, so he was in the army. Um, but even as awesome as I. I as as much as I looked up to him and as awesome as, as what I saw what he did, um, the Marine Corps the Marine Corps for some reason just stood out because they their marketing, of course, yeah, is they're the toughest, right? Yeah. Boot Marine Corps boot camp is the hardest thing. Yeah. And I wanted a challenge. That that was what I looked for. I was like on in the uniforms. They just yeah. looked squared away yeah. and I wanted to push myself hard. Yeah. So that's why I went. And then when they told me, this is where they fucked up. And this is where the Marine Corps got me, is they told me no. Mm. If they would have said, if they would have said, yeah, sure, no problems. Here's your options, blah, blah, blah. It would have been too easy for me. I'm that guy. I'm that, that, that idiot that needs yeah. a struggle. Needs the reverse psychology. Yeah. Program. Like the, the worst thing that anybody could ever tell me, and my wife knows this, she, she's learned this too. She never tells me no. Yeah. Because if you tell me no, it's like I just get laser focus yeah, yeah. on like proving you wrong. Yeah, that you won't jump out in front of that car. <laughs> yeah. you know, fucking yes, I will. <laughs> fucking tell me I won't. But uh, that's, they told me no. And when they told me no, it became, it, it turned into almost a two year mission to get in the Marine Corps. God damn. So what, I mean, what did that process entail on your end? Did you have to get Everything, shit expunged? Mike, and No, I couldn't do that at that time because I was still underage. But, um, at the, and I didn't even know that was an option back then either. I don't even know if it was because it was so it was free, it was so uh, new. I think it has to be seven years or something like that. Um, but that began. To, I mean, I mean, I get kids hitting me up talking about this stuff all the time. Like, how did you do it? And I had something to prove. Like they have they they have nothing to offer me. Yeah. I was a convicted felon. I was a, a high school dropout. So like. They just told me no. Yeah. It was it was my responsibility to prove to the Marine Corps 
that I was worthy to serve. Yeah. So that began like community service. I had over a hundred letters of recommendations from friends, families, fools, everyone, anybody I worked with, anybody that ever yeah. like surrounded me. I got over a hundred letters of recommendation. I went to college, which negated my GED because then I had a, a semester of college. Yeah. Uh, I took the ASVAB like three times because <laughs> I had to get a certain score. Like you couldn't yeah. just get a baseline score because yeah. of my because of the GED and everything. I had to I had to get over uh, whatever the regular score was. Yeah. Um, so it just it just became a process. I went to every pulley function, even though like I wasn't even in the depth. I just was proving to them. I had to do multiple interviews, multiple psychologist interview. I mean, it was. It was horrible. Yeah. It was horrible. But that became my mission. Yeah. And that's that's what laser focused. And I get a lot of kids hitting me up saying, Well, I have felonies too, and I have this, and I want to join the Marine Corps. I'm like, Well, fucking prove it to them. Yeah. Like yeah, well, yeah, I mean, they don't owe you shit, man. Yeah. Well, one of the one of the most uh I don't know, or I guess one of my favorite fucking sayings as far as stuff like that goes is what you do speaks so loud I can't hear what you say. <laughs> right. You know, is it like you can talk about how bad you want something, like if you don't Prove fucking it. act like it, then who gives yeah. a fuck? You know, it's goddamn lip service. But stop walking in the recruiter's office telling them you want to go looking yeah. like a gangbanger. Yeah. Yep. You know, like an out of shape gangbanger. Yeah. Yeah, no shit. Um so you, you clean all that shit up. They say, you know, okay, yeah, you're, you're in. Did you know at that point or had you at least thought about or decided that you wanted to be in MARSOC or do a special operations type thing? Or what, how did that shake out? So MARSOC wasn't even established then. That one didn't even start. You probably remember this in 2004. That was the concept for yeah. MARSOC. Well, I do remember uh, a little bit of a pissing contest with SOCOM and, <laughs> yeah. and JSOC and, the, you know, all of, all of special operations where somebody in the marine corps was like the entire marine corps is special operations like oh that oh my god i hate hearing that shit like so that much. like that was their take and and so everybody's like okay well you guys do you then and we'll be over here if you, you know <laughs> every marine is special right yeah 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 i we we were actually jump forward i was i was at a i was at a vso site in uh in northern afghanistan and some general showed up and he he said that he's like you guys aren't special you're you're, you know, you're just Marines doing a special job. And I was like, <laughs> this fucking clown. Yeah. I was like, listen, dude, like special is literally in the title. <laughs> yeah. They just can't handle it, man. Like regular yeah. Marines just can't handle having, having a group that, well, I think it boils down to like, they're so hyper-focused on uniformity. Yeah. And, and you know, it, that, that institutionalization where it's like, no, there can't be a group that's separate because we're all fucking exactly the same. Yeah. Well, you know? you're not. Yeah. I'm going to sit here and tell you right now, you're, yeah. you're fucking not. Yeah. Unless you go through selection and you go through several years of training like yeah sorry bro the cook can't do my job yeah, yeah. I, I love the cook yeah because he feeds me and i yeah. love all the support people yeah but at the end of the day they yeah they don't do what you do they don't do it they don't do what i do could yeah. they yeah. yeah after two years of training sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> well so how, how did that shake out then you you went to boot camp and then where, where <laughs> were you first introduced to to that element of the marine corps and said you know what that's what i want to do so it, it wasn't a it wasn't a direct road um so I signed up. I got infantry. I was um, 300. You made it. Yeah, 300. You made it, asshole. Um, so here's what's here's what's. This is my life, Mike. My life is just one, one fucking roadblock after another. <laughs> it's like if I want to do anything, anything that I want, there's going to be walls put up in front of yeah. me. So the first one was just getting in, right? So I worked for over two years trying to get in the Marine Corps. Finally, get my shot. I go to boot camp, right? Training day seven, I break my wrist. No way. 
Yeah. And it wasn't from jumping off of a bunk, right? No, <laughs> no. Funny story. I was uh, the, uh, the, the senior drill instructor. We were doing the bayonet course. And the senior drill instructor happened to be stationed at the, at the station where you do the horizontal butt stroke. Well, you know, it's, it's recruit training, man. It's a line. You're just going through the motions, right? Yeah. Well, the line gets backed up. So instead of t everybody else was like taking a knee to you go to the next station and, and do your drill, right? Well, I was super moto, right? Because I was super stoked to be at boot camp. And I was like, I'm going to fucking crush everything and move fast and do the loudest. I was just so excited to be there. He knew that. So he would not, he did not let me just take a knee. He was like, so he just wanted me to do the horizontal bus stroke a million times until it was time to move to the next thing. So I just went ape shit on this fucking thing. <laughs> and I broke my wrist. Fucking Christ. And it fucking swelled up. I swear to God, man. It looked like, like, remember Hellboy's hand? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it looked like. God damn. And they saw it and they were like, oh shit. The fucking Thanos sleeve. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it looked like. And they said, Corman, you know, yeah. and I went there and it was broke. And then I spent um, two and a half months in MRP. What What is that like? I mean, because you're obviously fairly new, like you're still at the... So the new meat phase of boot camp. Yeah, what, so what is that? In the Marine Corps, <laughs> fucking shit, man. Wherever you stop training, you get paused in purgatory. Yeah. So if you're the guy that still has the shaved head and the boots on the boots on blouse and you have your little silly name tape and you know you're running around with the canteen, that's where you get held. Like there's some kids that get like they blouse their boots in third phase and they have like a supermoto high and tight, little bit of hair. If you get hurt then, then you stay there. So wherever you stop is where you stop. And so, so it was like <laughs> Groundhog's Day. Like it was Groundhog's Day, man. When I showed up, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll be honest with every single listener. I wanted to leave. Yeah. When I showed up to MRP, I was like, I did not sign up for this shit. There was a kid in the corner hitting himself with a moonbeam. Remember that <laughs> flashlight? He literally, and then a drill instructor had to like jump on him and hold him down because he was trying to kill himself by beating him in the head with a with a flashlight. They're playing like two sheets in a blanket. This guy's got there's guys in wheelchairs. There's a guy with a full cast all the way up as up to his dick, and they're playing two sheets in a blanket. There's some kid trying to hang himself in the bathroom. And those, those and without without a doubt, those are the guys that also. The, the ones from that unit that get medically separated are oh, the, yeah. have the fucking 5.11s and the fucking <laughs> yeah. the beard and the patches. <laughs> they go and, to SHOT Show. And, and, the, and the fucking don't, don't do fireworks because the fucking vet lives here signs. Yeah. And, you know, like, yeah, exactly. you know, I, I was in the Marine Corps for nine fucking days. What, uh, what was the day-to-day -day like? I mean, did they have you doing shit? Yeah, you're playing fuck-fuck games, man. Two God, sheets in a blanket. Fucking, like... Those, those yeah. pictures of the Marine Corps boot camp where the racks were all like, it's destroyed. That yeah. shit would happen in MRP. Yeah. And I'm so. like, here I am with a cast on my hand. I'm trying to get my, my blanket. I'm, I mean, it's just, it was, it was horrible. Yeah. It well, was absolutely horrible. And whoever the drill instructors are that are running that have to be like the guys that fucked up, you know? No, on, on, actually, because of the way the, way the Marine Corps, uh, way the boot camp works, that shit is so high intensity for those guys. It is actually their break. Oh, really? So they go to MRP because MRP, it's kind of a nine to five job. Yeah. At that point, you're not having to run cycles. So every drill instructor, they have, I think, midway through, they have to go somewhere else. Yeah. Well, so in, in those normal days, you're doing shit every day. But so at five, like those guys leave from five till the next morning. Like, did you have time to where nobody was there and you just were fucking off? 
Or Basically, it, reading yeah. you could read knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, this, this listen to this. So once I got through, once I got over my like, I oh, fuck this. I'm out of here. I don't want to be with these fucking clowns. It was it was because it was crazy. It was something. I, even mentally, like thinking back, it was just the most bizarre thing to watch. Once I pulled my head out of my ass, I used it as an opportunity to get ahead. Yeah. So, because I knew that I was going to show back up to training day seven, yet I'd been on the island for three months. Yeah. So, Fuck. like, I studied every manual. I did drill. Um, when my arm started to get better, I started to do like guide on manual. One of the drill instructors kind of like took to me and was training me with guide on stuff. And when I went back, it was almost immediately I became the guide. Yeah. Well, I, I would imagine that, you know, having spent that much time and getting kicked back to day seven, basically, you were quite a ways ahead of everybody, though, Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I, had a, I had a, I mean, it really wasn't even fair yeah. because, like, I, I just had a leg up on. But I, I took that, I pulled, once I pulled up my head out of my ass and I was like, okay, I am going to use this as an opportunity to succeed yeah. instead of seeing it as, like, feeling a, sorry for yourself. Yeah, feeling yeah. sorry for myself. Yeah. All right, so you get back into fucking training, uh, breeze, breeze through that. Yeah, no graduate company honor grad. And then um, what uh, what happened after that? I showed up to my first unit. Oh, well, actually, because this is the most bizarre thing, I miss, I lost my boat space Which because is? I got hurt. So I was an 03, I was an 03, oh. 0300, whatever that was going to be. I lost my boat space, and I right before graduation, the senior drill instructor goes. God, get in here. He's like, you're gonna go go over here and see this mass chart. And, and then I, so I went to the admin place. This mass chart was like, recruit, you're, I'm gonna give you the best job in the Marine Corps. And I was like, aye, sir. So he's like, sign here. I'm like, aye, sir, sign <laughs> not, away. Not even knowing what. Fuck no, I had no fucking <laughs> clue, man. <laughs> oh, 01, administrative. Holy fuck. Yep, got admin and showed up to my, <laughs> should, so here I am like six months brainwashed out of boot camp. Like yeah. I'm that guy. I was the guy with the moto haircut and the like super Marine Corps moto and proper greeting of the day and proper civilian braided belt and cargo <laughs> tacky cargo shorts with a like but I was you gotta understand like six months on Paris Island speaking yeah. in the third person, that fucks yeah. your brain up. Yeah. Like right. I didn't say I didn't refer to myself as me or I yeah. for six months. Yeah. that that would fuck with you. <laughs> so I show up thinking the Marine Corps is Recon. Yeah. Thinking the Marine Corps is like this super uh, high, high level unit, yeah. right? And and now you're doing fucking paperwork. No, it's worse, man. It's worse. And I, I God, I hope that she never hears, no, sees me or hears this. But there was this corporal, and I won't use her name, but she was fat. She had like varicose veins all over her fat thighs. And she was on active duty? Yeah. How the fuck did she pull and that And she on? said, I am your NCOIC. I check in. I am your NCOIC. And I said, but you're fat. <laughs> God. This is, I'm a private first class, Mike. I'm, a, I'm an E2 in the Marine Corps. <laughs> and I, I said to, to an NCO, I'm like, but you're fat. <laughs> how, can I, how can you be in charge of me? Did she lose her fucking mind? She lost her shit. Yeah. And then the gunny, the, I went into the gunny and he was like, he had this stutter and he was like, P -p PFCK, you're at the bottom of my shit pole. <laughs> and I was like, so this is what happened, man. I shredded paper for three weeks straight. God damn. 
So here I am. This is this is my first job, man, in the yeah. Marine Corps, and I'm shredding fucking paper. Luckily, there was some good people that there was a there was a, a mass chart that was a 0369. He saw me getting just fucked with, and there's some other good NCOs, and they they kind of took me under their wing. And I never did that job. I never did admin. I, I moved into more of a training uh, realm because they knew it wasn't for me. Yeah. And uh, then I got shortly after that, I got my first shot. I got meritoriously promoted to corporal. Um, and then very, like I was at E4 under two years. I yeah. was like a year and a half or something. Yeah. And um, I got my first job as uh, an individual augment to go to Turkey. Really? Op- Operation Northern Watch. Do you remember that? Southern yeah. Watch and Northern Watch before yeah. Operation Iraqi Freedom kicked off? I do. <clears throat> so that really is what kicked off my career um, in that kind of, I guess you could say special operations world because yeah. it was a joint task force. So we were working with everybody. Yeah. And, uh, and then when I came back, um, I was a sergeant. Jesus. So I'd never done admin. So they tried to put me in admin for a couple of days and I fucked up all. This is what happened. This is how, this is how I got out of admin. Here I am. I just got promoted to, uh, no, I was still a corporal actually. Came back, was a corporal. Um, and this sergeant was PCSing to California. And I fucked up his papers because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> and do you remember how you get you get money prior to going yeah. so that you can pay for your travel and yeah. your lodging and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, and for you civilian assholes, it's a permanent change of station, which is PCS. So basically when you change jobs and get sent somewhere right. else, that if somebody <laughs> says I'm PCSing, that means that they're they're leaving one post and going somewhere totally different. So and yeah, and I'm the guy, <clears throat> Nick's the guy. In charge of that paperwork. The charge of that paperwork, and I <laughs> fucked it up. And this Shocker. guy, and this guy did not get his money. Mm. Like before, he left. He, him and his family and his two kids yeah. went to California. Mm-hmm. And That's he, nice of you. And, and he was supposed to have like I don't know, fifteen G's or something. <clears throat> and I didn't. And I fucked it up. I fucked <laughs> this guy. So whoever you are, I don't remember your name, but I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. It was. <laughs> it wasn't the job for me. Yeah. I hope it all worked out for you. So then I met. Um, I met. Uh, Sergeant Major McAvoy, he was a, he was a force recon, um, Sergeant Major. He actually works for Glock. He actually worked, or he, he works for Glock. I think he still works for Glock. And, um, <clears throat> he kind of took me under his wing and, and I got in trouble for hazing. So that's how I got into his unit. And I was hazing some PFC cause he couldn't do three pull-ups. Fuck God bless it. <laughs> yeah. We need to bring hazing back across the board. It wasn't even hazing. I put him on a workout program. Yeah. A pull-up program, but the Marine Corps he, considered it hazing. Yeah, they considered that hazing. It's chicken shit. And I was like, "This is not fucking. This is not the unit for me." Yeah. So I was, I was, I was almost a year out from re-enlisting, and they, and so I was going <clears> to <throat> go to uh, be a infantry uh, school like teacher, mm-hmm. the ITB or whatever. And the sergeant major was like, "You're a fucking idiot." <laughs> He's like, listen there, the corporal, like you're going to go over there as an instructor, spend three years, and then come back probably as a staff sergeant, as an admin guy, not knowing shit about your job, and you're gonna be in the same fucking prob- situation that you're in now. And he, this is literally his, wor- his words. Stop being a pussy and go recon. <laughs> <laughs> there needs to be way more of that in our society. By he the way. was like, stop, literally, I will never forget that. He's like, stop being a pussy and go recon. Yeah. So he hooked me up with uh, Gunnery Sergeant Durbin, and anybody that you know is in recon knows that guy. He's a legend. Um, he just retired as a master guns, um, but he did my first screening. So I did a, I did my recon screening with Second Force in December as a corporal, 
um, got promoted to sergeant right after that and then went to second force and that's how it started. I guess for the listener, you know, Sergeant E5 in the Marines, you know, there's there's an element of that's pretty advanced rank, yeah, rank wise yeah. to be going through some of these things. We're, and I know like when I was in Buds, we had guys that were E5s. Occasionally you'd see an E6, but but it was rare and it was kind of yeah. weird, you know, because most people are E2s, E3s. For second force, people. for recon battalion, it would have been really senior. Yeah. For second force, the junior, most junior guy really was a sergeant. Oh, okay. Yeah. So at first it was, but quickly it kind of evaporated yeah. into where you fit right in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I showed up as a, it was kind of funny because like you're a sergeant in the Marine Corps, it's like yeah. your top shit in the Marine Corps. And then yeah. you go over to second force and you're basically cleaning the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Well, as, well, so one question, I guess, uh, you know, thinking of, of what got you or, or where you were from the time you started until you got to that point was very little by way of any type of combative skills. Did you find yourself that in being in a position where as an E5, uh, even in the second phase, that you were a little bit underprepared for that type of stuff because of the... Yeah, the, in the in the grand scheme of things, like I wasn't on par with, say, like somebody that came from a scout, like, like Dakota yeah. that came from like a scout sniper platoon. Yeah. Like I'm not advanced <clears> as that. <throat> where I was very fortunate is I had a couple very good leaders that put me in that training thing. So I was... I was teaching offensive and defensive tactics to oh, all okay. of the, like the, essentially the pogues on the base. Yeah. So we would go out to Camp Geiger and I would, I would, I would run weekend, you know, oh, training okay. ops. Yeah. So I was a little bit more versed and I, I had like the foresight to study, yeah. to study land nav, to study all, like study the all the old, old school Vietnam tactics, which is what the basic level yeah. stuff was at the time. Um, so, while I wasn't as prepared as somebody who was a professional, like patrolman, yeah, um, I wasn't the water purification specialist <laughs> that had never done anything. Yeah, and I already had a deployment under my belt where I was doing some PSD work yeah. and working with you know different different branches of the service. Yeah. So I was I was fortunate in that way that it wasn't a total culture shock. Yeah, and I was able to hold my own. Yeah. So, you know, I've had a lot of SEALs on the show, uh, the, the process going from, you know, starting buds to getting your trident and, and that journey into the SEAL teams is pretty well, well known. I've, I've only had, you know, I've had Dakota on and there's been a couple other guys with some Marine experience, but, uh, I am curious, you're the first, uh, force recon guy I've had on. And I know, you know, a lot of listeners are curious about two things. One is that, what is that process like compared to the SEAL teams in terms of when you first start? But then also, uh, if you could kind of highlight the the difference uh, between Force Recon and SEALs, at least from the ones that you've worked with. I know there's way more similarities than there are differences, but yeah. if you could talk about kind of both of those things. because I, you know. Absolutely. I think that, um, so through my career, I was, I was fortunate enough to work with every branch of special operations. And I will say that if you're going to look at the reconnaissance marine, especially the force reconnaissance marine, I would say that's the closest thing to a Navy SEAL and they're, the way that they train and yeah. the, the way that they, their process of coming up, yeah. similar to BUDS. Yeah. Um, when you go to MARSOC, I would say more it's more along the lines of a crossbreed between a little bit of recon, the, the training there, but really SF, yeah. Green Beret. I mean, the, they're, the way that we do selection, the way that we do, that's it's much more similar to the Green Beret pipeline and the Q course and all that. Yeah. But my recon time was much like uh, a, a, a kind of the way the Navy SEAL comes up. Yeah. 
Um, we, in my day, we had this thing called RIP, which now is like basically, they call it pre-BRC. Um, but I did recon indoctrination platoon for three months. So that's before you even get to go to what you would say BUDS would be, which yeah. was uh, ARS at the time. Mike, I'll tell you, that was probably the worst three months of my life. I mean, is that primarily just selection? Like it's, it's basically, it's basically selection and prepping you for school. Because what they yeah. want to do is, the, I, I'll, I'll tell you this right now, my RIP class was harder than the actual school. Yeah. Is the attrition rate through the roof? Absolutely through the roof. I mean, like I mean, how when, many? I, when we started RIP, I, I don't remember how many people we had, but we I think we only sent probably like 11 people to school. Yeah. And wow. then when, when I went to school, there was like 100 and something. Yeah. We graduated 14. Wow. 14 got the MOS. Yeah. So, I mean, it's similar attrition rate to BUDS, too. Yeah. 75, 80% of the fucking yeah. people are. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a wake up in the morning, the instructor walks out, kicks you square in the dick, and that's how you start your day. Yeah. 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 For three months. For three months. And then, so once you make it through that, what, what is that next step like in comparison? Is it, I know you said RIP was harder, but is it, is it kind of a hybrid of, you know, still kicking you in the nuts, but you've proven worthy of being yeah, here and I mean, we teach especially, you? Especially at Force, like you show up. It's funny because you, you graduate school, right? You made it. You're, you're an 03, 21, Force Reconnaissance Marine. And you think that like, oh, this is, I'm fucking hot shit. Yeah. The truth is you haven't done anything. Yeah. You, you have no insert schools. You have no, you're, you don't know. You haven't done a workup. You yeah. haven't done shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they let you know that real fast. <laughs> <laughs> Day one. And that's really where the, that's, I mean, as much as I like love uh, BRC and I love those programs and I think they put out a great product, you really don't become a force recon Marine until you've done like your full workup and a full deployment yeah. because that's when you really learn your school. Like, yeah. And it's yeah. probably the same way in the SEALs. Yeah, I mean, you know, BUDS is six, a little over six months, uh, and, and that's, yeah, it's primarily a selection. I mean, you, t you learn and they teach you a little bit uh, in the different phases, but, you know, overwhelmingly it's, it's do you have what it takes to do the job? And then you do right. a, a three-and-a-half-month advanced training block after that where it's legitimately trying to bridge the gap from a know-nothing BUDS graduate that just, you know, this guy, you know, is cut from the cloth that we're looking for and try to get him as up to speed as possible so that when he goes to a SEAL team and jumps into a platoon, he's not dragging them so right. far down. Right. But same thing is that, you know, once you get there, it's still, you know, you're going to do a full workup and a full deployment before, like, you really know what the fuck you're doing. And yeah, even, so so basically keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Keep your mouth shut your first workup and deployment. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. <laughs> and so... Uh, so that second phase is more like our, you know, advanced right. training kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So after that, then you got, what, what well, I, I want to say I, people underestimate and, you know, we've, me and my buddy, Josh Hansberger have written prep books for all this stuff that sell really well. And, uh, we actually had two, just had two Marines, um, that used our recon prep book that just graduated <clears throat> BRC. But I, I don't, there's a lot of kids out there and I don't know if you're demographic, if you have youth that listen to this. They underestimate how hard it is. Yeah. They, a lot of guys, and, and I see it too, like, I'm going to go join and be the SEAL. Like, sure you are, bud. Yeah. Like, you, they underestimate truly how mentally and physically tough it is to go through that training. Yeah. And I, I don't, I, I just didn't want to move on without yeah. <laughs> really fucking nailing that in the head. Like, it is hard. Yeah. It is really, really hard. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, <laughs> at least from my experience, both having gone through it and then been an instructor for several years, uh, my last few years in, 
is that, you know, there's no amount of shape that you show up in that is going to get you through training. Oh, no, I don't care how. Yeah. You know, obviously the, the better shape that you're in, the less you're going to have to rely on your mind. However, without a doubt, you're going to have to rely and rely heavily on your fucking mind, you know, and so. That's that, how I got through. Yeah, it well, wasn't because of yeah. my physical prowess. Nah, I mean, fuck, that's everybody, you know, is that, yeah, I mean, that, like, they're going to find a way to make it so hard to where you can't be in good enough shape. Well, I've watched, purpose, I right? watched college, collegiate level athletes quit. Oh, yeah, yeah, same here. I mean, fucking They could Olympic, run circles around me. Yeah, Olympic swimmers and fucking, you know, all-American wrestlers and football players. And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's you know, I, I have kind of a a generic theory as to why that is. I think, you know, a lot of those super high level elite athletes, when they show up, they've never really been pushed. Right. You know, and a lot of them, especially nowadays, you know, they're naturally gifted yeah, already. They've, they've never yeah. really had to work that hard. It came so naturally that they didn't really have to learn how to push themselves. I mean, there are exceptions, but there's a lot of them that show up But between that. And especially in today's day and age with, well, he's our star <laughs> quarterback. So you were late, <laughs> but don't worry about it. Like the rules right. don't fucking apply to you. And right. so, you know, that combination, you know, is a recipe for an entitled fuck bag, yep. you know, that, that doesn't have any real fucking uh, drive behind him when, when it gets shitty. Because he's never failed. Yeah. And, yeah. and he's never been humbled, you know, by any yep. of his, you know, and, and that's, I know the Marines are, are absolutely no fucking different than SEAL instructors in that. Like, you know, my, our number one priority is to kick you right in the fucking balls and make you realize you're nobody, you know, right. yeah, and, and over and over and over and over, you know? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's neat to hear that the process is, is so similar again. I, you know, having not really shot the shit with anybody, uh, with your background as, as it relates to what that process is like is, uh, is neat. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. Um, so moving on then you, you finish that and now you get into your first unit, basically describe what that was like. Scary. Yeah. Where was it at? Second force was, uh, right in courthouse Bay in Camp Lejeune. Mm. And, uh, I mean, you're just, as a young Sergeant, brand new force recon Marine, I'm just looking at these like legends. Yeah. Like there's just, I mean, it's a small unit, right? It's a super small unit. I mean, force recon at the time was. It's, it's smaller than any other special operations branch or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, there's very, I mean, everybody knows each other. Yeah. Is it a couple of hundred or how many active? Uh... I think a couple, maybe <laughs> at the time, maybe a couple thousand. I knew that at that time, I'll give you this, there was only 250 something E5s. Yeah. O321s at the time. Yeah. In the whole Marine Corps. Yeah. It, it was, yeah, it was very kind of nerve wracking to look and see how badass all these guys were. 
yeah. these senior these senior staff and COs that have been doing this for a long time and had multiple deployments. And this, at this time, this was 2004. So these guys at Second Force already had multiple deployment combat deployments under their yeah. belt. Yeah. So here I am just going, holy shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I just try to keep my mouth shut. Yeah. Try to keep my mouth shut and stay out of trouble, which it didn't work. But uh, <laughs> but I was that was the thought process. Yeah. But was there much uh, much hazing back then with you guys? One hundred percent. Yeah. In RIP, I mean ARS and BRC is a little bit more like uh, it's a formal school, yeah. right? So that the hazing, if you want to call it hazing, it's more uh, calculated, and it's well, not really hazing; it's training. It's just the instructors doing. Yeah, it's it's like yeah. it, it, do you consider Hell Week hazing? No. Right. No, I mean, for for us, you know, the, the term hazing is absolutely on, really only applies to, you know, once you're in a in a at a SEAL team and in a SEAL platoon, and you fuck up or or yeah. whatever, and then that's when you know you get electrocuted and Tabasco poured on your balls. And right. That's a little different story. You know, yeah. yeah. And fucking locked in a. Did you guys use cruise boxes? Those big gray metal yeah. fucking boxes you know that two-thirds full of water and shoved in there with a fucking regulator and the lid closed and locked for 40 minutes shit like that happened all the time you know and, and that's one of the things that's that, so awesome oh it's <laughs> yeah it's fucking great uh you know or fucking ice baths or i mean goddamn we had one guy that it's just something as simple as he got married and didn't tell the platoon oh shit and so you know they beat his ass and taped him up that's one of the big things is being taped up right is that you know, a whole roll of fucking the green, we call it rigger's tape. Rigger's tape, the, the yeah. Green, uh, green duct tape, a whole roll of that, just wrapping it, taping a, a dude up like a fucking mummy and give him lobster claws, you know, super, super tape his fucking hands where they're like tapered and or tape his hands to his head and, and then make a big loop, uh, you know, intertwined into that and, and then call it a happy drink, hat. And then make him drink water. Dra drag him around, fucking waterboard. I mean... Um, you know, but the, the, the thing that they did to him above and beyond all that is he was a, he was a hairy fuck. I mean, kind of the same way I am now. Uh, and they shaved, uh, his entire fucking torso and arms. And then, you know, you know, the, um, at the, at the range, you use the spray glue to spray targets on. Oh, shit. They yeah. spray they glued, glue. Yeah. yeah, they spray glued all of his body hair onto his face to give him a fucking Osama beard. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, just you know, so and a bunch of other shit. But oh, uh, I mean, you can't make that shit up. Yeah, but you know, to me, that that like a lot of people listening are probably like, holy shit, you know, that's stuff. Obviously, doesn't happen in corporate America, and not even close. But I will say that th there was a, a, a self regulation that existed in the community then that just does not exist now. Yeah, and, and you see it. You know, yeah. you, you can see it. The, the amount of problems, and in, in specifically in special operations, and the, and the SEAL teams have had a, a host of them lately. And I don't think it's, you know, sh yeah, it's shaving haircuts. It, it's let the guys police themselves. Yeah, it's unfortunate that I've seen, and I've seen the same thing. We've seen the same thing with Marsoc and, and, and the SF community as well. I, I think it's, uh, and not to like jump on like the millennial bandwagon or whatever, but um, there is a there is a, a, a different level of entitlement yeah. with younger younger generation. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of sad to see, and I and I hope that it takes a turn for the better. Yeah, in the future. I, I agree, and I uh, <laughs> I bag on snowflake millennials probably more than, or at least as much as anybody. But you know, in thinking about it and, and being fair, uh, it's not their fault. You know, I mean, the, the reality no. is, is that it's you their know, parents' fault. Well, it's parents <laughs> and and even you know the administration or the I'll use air quotes leadership or lack of leadership. Yeah. In the military, that doesn't allow things to to take place that are proven 
mechanisms for policing ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and when that doesn't take place, uh, you know, you can't, it, it's like being pissed at kids for misbehaving. It's like, well, if you're their fucking parent, then you you unfuck yourself and figure that out. Like it's not the kid's fault. Yeah, and if 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 it went like in our day, like if you could self police yourself, these these wouldn't be an issue. Yeah, that nobody would. The news yeah. wouldn't know about the things yeah. that were happening. I mean, these things didn't happen when right. you know back in the early two thousands. You know, right. um, and there's a reason. It's not because we weren't at war because we were. Uh, it's just as as we've made it more and more political and almost corporate based. It's it's really I mean it's it's a culture clash and it just doesn't fucking work. I mean you got to let fucking you know Vikings and Spartans be Vikings and Spartans and do, and do their fucking thing. You know yeah. they're not Boy Scouts, but I, so hazing. So it's like rip. Yeah. I, I don't know if it would I would call it hazing. It was it just sucked a lot. There's a lot of stuff that you know. It's like, yeah, like buds. Yeah, it's just what that it, kind of training. Any any good hazing stories from when you were uh, at the actual unit that you can share? Um, Some of the dipshit stuff we did. No, I mean, I, 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 I didn't really get hazed. I got what? What? PT'd. Yeah. I, I got a smoke <laughs> so, session. Smoke session for something that I didn't even do. So the only thing that I'll say is, and this guy is just uh, his name's Mitch, and just a, a complete. He's one of those guys that just an absolute legend, badass. He was a staff sergeant at the time. I was a sergeant, and um, I shook. So we had this. We had the Marine Corps ball, second force ball. I was brand new. And I show back up on Monday after the ball, and he walked outside. He's like, get your fucking water source and stand the hell by. And I'm like, what the fuck did I do? <laughs> and I'm like, in, you know, and as in that kind of command, you don't say, but what? Yeah. Staff aren't yeah. like, what did I do? You I'm, know? I'm still reeling from him calling a fucking drink a, a water source. <laughs> What the fuck? Fucking classic Marine. He's like, get your go fasters and your water sources, stand the fuck by. (laughs) So I did, and he ran my ass, and I've never been a runner, and this fucking dude could run. He ran my ass through the tank trails, through the like the Camp Lejeune tank trails to a DZ, like way the fuck out there, sugar cooking my like he fucking hazed the shit out of me, and I'm like dripping in sweat. I got sand and stickers all over me, and. I mean, it had to have been a couple hours later after we got done all, we got done with all that. He was basically like the whole time he was like, "You're an embarrassment." I had no fucking clue what was happening. Mm-hmm. I was just doing it. Yeah. And uh, afterwards, we got done at the DZ. He told me what happened. There was two of the guys in the platoon, two lance corporals. I'm a sergeant. Two lance corporals got drunk, and at the ball when the ball was over, and like they had this fabric lined on the walls. <laughs> And they had pulled all the fabric down. This is like a hotel out in town in Wilmington. And then like we're rolling up in it. Well, the word got back. Somebody dropped my fucking name. The, said that I did that. Uh, I wasn't even there. Yeah. So he told me what happened. And I was like, Mitch, I wasn't even there. Yeah. And he's like, oh, Ah, well, good sport. And like patted me on the shoulder and we ran back. And I was like, what the fuck, man? And those other two kids never even got in trouble for it. That is a fucking classic example of uh, the United States military right there. But this is the lesson that I tell people because I tell that story all the time. Yeah. And everybody wants to throw like uh, throw their fucking red star cluster up and be like, it's not me. Listen, this is the way that it works. You take your you take your fucking licks on the chin. Yeah. Like a man, and then you deal with it afterwards. Yeah. You don't whine and complain. You don't you don't yeah. go to the general. You don't go to the sergeant major and complain. Yeah. You take your fucking licks, 
whether it's, and this is like, like leadership 101, right? Yeah. If anybody in your team fucks up, what do you do? You take responsibility for it. If they fail, you fail. Yeah. If somebody in my company makes a, makes a mistake, I go to the customer and I tell, I, I apologize and I and I take it as my mistake and yeah. I tell them, I'm sorry that I did this. Yeah. I own it. And that's kind of the way, like, I, I look at that story kind of like, I, even though I didn't do it, I fucking own it. Yeah. And take my licks like a man, not yeah. be a fucking crybaby about it. Yeah. And then move on. No, I, I mean, it's a great attitude to have. I, I wish most people did. Unfortunately, they don't. But that's uh, fucking great, great life lesson for sure. Uh, if you could talk about the the process from, you know, from then, basically, a- after your first work up and, and just talk about your your five fucking deployments uh, or at least the ones that you did as yeah uh, as recon and marsoc because so I know. um shortly after force recon i went out to uh they needed sergeants to go out to third recon battalion and i was pissed because i thought in my mind i was like i'm going from varsity to jv and um and that was just me being an idiot uh, really um, so I went out to Okinawa and was part of 3rd Recon Battalion. Um, and that's where I did, uh, basically I was in a platoon for three years. I started out as an assistant team leader and I left there as a platoon sergeant. <clears throat> and any recon Marines that listen to this, if you can get to Okinawa, do it. Because actually one of the guys that we just got through BRC, he's going to Okinawa. And I said, good on you, man, because the best recon Marines come from Okinawa. And the reason why is because they didn't at the time they didn't have a force in a battalion so they made rotations so usually battalion recon would only do kind of like greenside and then your and, and then your force recon at this time would do more of your direct uh deep reconnaissance and your direct action type of thing and your high, higher level reconnaissance work um but out there you have to do everything so you take rotations so you get, and there's nothing else to do in <clears throat> Japan yeah. except fucking work and train yeah. and deploy. So that's all I did for three years out there was just, I, I literally went from one, one deployment to the next. Um, I went all over South, uh, Southeast Asia on the Mew. Um, and then I did it's as the, an assistant team leader. It's a Marine expeditionary unit for you, you people out there. Yeah. The guys on the boats, that's, 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 that's where Marine Corps thinks that they're the, they're all special operations yeah. because they sit around on boats and, and, and honestly it truly is. It's an amazing, uh, asset that America has because there's boats all over the world with Marines sitting on them waiting to do something. Yeah. So if anything cracks off, whether it be humanitarian, um, a rescue mission, um, a fight, yeah. Like they're they're there within 24 hours. Yeah. And so how many deployments did you do in that three years? Um, basically like two and a half. Nope. Um, I did were, one with the Mew. Were they all in Southeast Asia or did you no, go? No, I went to Iraq. So we literally came back off the Mew and our whole platoon went straight to Iraq. What year was that? 06. So, I mean, that was arguably the hottest, nastiest time. shitty fucking deployment, man. To, can you uh, tell us about it? it I mean, unfortunately, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but it, it, I mean, we lost a lot of people, and that was during the surge, and anybody that knows Iraq during that time, um, and we were in Fallujah, it was just, it, it got so bad that, like, we were boycotting uh, memorials. We told the command, like, if if I die, I want to sign a paper saying that you don't hold Stop doing them. Stop doing them, how many, because... How many guys did you guys lose? I don't remember off the top of, uh, top of my head, but it was, um, 
I mean, how big was your unit that was there? Like, it was the entire, it was entire battalion, third yeah. recon battalion. So you had three, so there's a total of six platoons. Bravo Company had three platoons, and then we had Alpha Company had three platoons. And so the total number of shooters was? I don't know. Let's see. Um, Carry the one. Do math, yeah. Trying, I'm doing it at the team level. Get the abacus out. Yeah. So maybe like 21 per, per platoon, so you yeah. do the math. Yeah. Well, you over, know? I mean, 100 and... Yeah, 140, 150 not many. People. Yeah, you know, my team at the time, I had five guys on my team, and we were operating. Um, at the end of my deployment, they basically came in and said, Nick, I just want you to know. My company commander was like, I want you to know what you accomplished. Um, a company of grunts couldn't have done no shit with five year guys. Wow, and I mean, our, it was our whole platoon, but but my team specifically, um, he just was like, you, you know, what your platoon and what your teams did on your platoon. Um, is is nothing short of remarkable. Yeah. And, so, uh, so all of three uh, or third recon battalion was there in Fallujah. Were you guys around any of the task force bruiser guys uh, in Fallujah, Ramadi, Jocko, and, and all those guys? Did you ever so, work? Uh, we did. <laughs> I don't want to bag on the seals here, um, but yeah, the, we did. I, I don't know if if he was there at that time, but uh, was it Team Five? Well, it, it depends on what part of 06. They were there the second half of 06, or later in 06. Yeah, the way so that's the same as us, 06, yeah. 07. Yeah. Um, well, let me rephrase that. I, and I wasn't there, so forgive me if my dates are a little wrong. I know that, that towards the end of their deployment was in October because that's when Mikey Mansoor oh, yeah. you know, died, uh, and they came home not long after that. So they were probably there from my guess would be April to October or something. Yeah, we were there then. from like the summer, the end of the summer all the way until April the next year. Um, so you, you probably would have just caught them at the beginning and then whoever. Yeah, they took, they took a bunch of our targets. Yeah. They took a bunch of our target packages. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> um, and they, they left some IEDs for us. Uh, they didn't like to, they didn't like to sit on, wait around with those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we we did bump past, but they did they did we were pissed because we we would do all the reconnaissance and we'd build these target packages and the RCT would be like oh thanks and then we're gonna pass them off to the SEAL team we're like yeah. what the fuck yeah <laughs> but that's hey that's that's yeah. the that's the deal yeah well, uh, could you um, or I guess are there any specific ops that stand out as being you know maybe if you could pick one that's that's yeah, so remarkably gonna, successful and yeah one I was gonna talk wrong. about that because. And you'll you'll actually probably appreciate this. So coming off the Mew, we were the we were the force platoon on the Mew. So we were all direct action and and doing that kind of that kind of gig. So we roll into Iraq kind of with the same. We were the most senior platoon. We had been together. We had most the most training, and we um, rolled in thinking that we were going to be a direct action asset. And it was just one bullshit hit after the other, one dry hole after the other, and it was just nonsense. And it wasn't, it was playing whack-a-mole. And there, was, there wasn't any actual effects being made on the battlefield. So um, there was a 46 that got shot down in Karma, right outside of um, Al-Karma, right outside of Fallujah. Fallujah. And we completely shifted the way we operated. We went old school recon, endage, hiding in houses, rotating teams 24 <clears> seven. <throat> so like a team would be out and then through in the middle of the night, we'd rotate a team and they never knew where we were. And this, this village went from having like, I don't know, it was like IEDs like 
I don't, I don't remember the numbers, but it was like a crazy amount of IEDs every every week, right? Yeah. To nothing, nothing. Really? Like we completely stopped it. Yeah. Like while we were there, completely disrupted that. Whole completely network. disrupted that network. We, we <clears throat> fucking killed a bunch of bad guys, and it's because they just didn't know where we were. Yeah. So that really changed my thought process, and that was the, and that's like me going from there to Marsoc really. <laughs> fixed my brain because i was like okay it's it's not about what necessarily we what's cool or what we want to do it's it's the right tool for the right job yeah and how do we make a maximum effective you know rounds on target in a battle space yeah and that's what we did there we went all intel we went all old school recon yeah were there so during that period i mean was your operational tempo like every night most nights Two, so three. we had three. So yeah, we'd have three teams, and then we would rotate every night. Yeah. So you were out. Basically, you were out for a night, and then back for two, and yeah. then out for a night. And, and those then, back for two, were you acting as a quick reaction force yeah. on call kind of thing? Yeah. 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 We but did. but it's we basically had like a almost like a VSO site. We had like a house base thing yeah. that we stayed at um, in Al Karma is is right at the elbow. Um, there's probably people I've met so many people, so many Marines and army guys that worked in Al Karma. It was, yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they, we would go back to this little base, which was literally a hop skip from the Ville. So we could get out to the Ville if we needed to pretty rather quickly. And, um, and we were just kind of standing by doing watch there. Yeah. And, uh, and if, if one of the teams needed resupport, then we were able to do that from there. Yeah. When you guys showed up, was there a, a sit down of here is your main fucking priority and because i know at that Fuck time no. I, ieds were were the primary fucking, fucking rct was so fucked up man they, they should we showed up and we got this brief and the first brief that we got was the band was the this is more of the marine corps bullshit the rct commander at the time um who was a, i think he just retired as a general now was said hey you recon guys you're not special um we're all marines here doing the same job i even have my I, the band is my psd jesus and you they're throw just a, as, throw a trombone at a motherfucker yeah they're just good they're just as good as you so we're all marines here fighting the same war and that yeah. was it and we were really yeah. left to the battalion was really left to their own de, like demise to like make shit happen yeah. and we did so for those of you listening that have no military experience uh, and there's you've heard other similar uh, stories of dysfunction within the U.S. government, whether it's Department of Defense or agency stuff or whatever. To me, the, the frustrating and, and strange thing is that, you know, there's there's a weird, um, I, I guess, just or there, there are weird instances within the United States government where sometimes there's stuff like that that's just completely fucking dysfunctional yeah. you know to where it's it's honestly like you know if if you're not if you've never seen the machine work you'd be like there's no way it could be that fucked up you know right. like i've seen enough tv and movies like it can't be that fucked it up what you described yeah. but but then you know 2 months later somebody new comes in and it's exactly what you would think it should be right. you know and and it's like it's literally you know, combat stories and operations and, and, you know, the right place, the right time. That's really what it is. I mean, it's honestly flip a fucking coin and, and that's your luck as to whether or not good shit comes your way or not. Right. You know, and, and it's unfortunate and that, you know, again, I think a lot of people assume that the, that the United States government would have their shit together a little, a little better or at least a little more consistently than they do. 
but that's not an uncommon theme. And, and that's really where like understanding your own human ter terrain, not just the enemy human terrain, but are your own human terrain and being a professional warfighter to where you can brief and get your point across and get your agenda across to the commanders appropriately. Yeah. Because if you can do that and you understand them and you can say, okay, I, this guy's a fuckstick or this guy's mm -hmm. on the level, you have to be able to manipulate them to where you can get your mission across. Yeah. So with, uh, was that basically a, a self-diagnosis where you guys showed up with zero direction and quickly you figure out, okay, IEDs are fucking yeah. everybody up, let's target that? Is that was that kind That's of... basically the way it went down. Yeah. When we, we got... We were getting frustrated because of what we were currently doing and it wasn't making an impact. And yeah. quite frankly, it was like gonna get people killed. Yeah. So we were like, okay, what are, what are we gonna do? And we had some really great people in the platoon and really, and uh, and we just, we made the call. And once that 46 got shot down, that was kind of our our green light to go up there and just kind of wreck house. Yeah. And, and at that point, the battalion and the RCT was like, turn them loose and you guys just, they're like, we had no really no direction other than go up there. Yeah, they said you guys are going to go up there and do this job and do and do something. Mm -hmm. What you do is on you and your platoon commander and your and your platoon sergeant. Um, and that's really where that's the, yeah. the platoon is the one that takes credit for it. Yeah, I mean to me that like that's half right in my opinion in terms of like at least they gave you the autonomy to do whatever the fuck you want. To me, there should be a okay. You guys are here. Here's the biggest, you know, here's the top three problems. You guys figure out how to fix them. Like, to <laughs> they, me, that's ideal. I feel but, like they didn't even know what the top three yeah, problems were. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. Could you uh, share just if, if there's one specific operation that stands out as being, like, the craziest or sexiest, most successful, like, gnarliest shit happened? Could you share that? Or at least uh, what you can from it? I mean, I would say that it's it, that whole thing was one operation. That's it, kind of... and. I'm actually like thinking about it. Uh, you know, I think about it often. I'm very, very proud of our platoon, but that was the operation was going kind of in ditch and, and living in, I mean, we would keep people like hostage in their own homes yeah. for 24, for 12 hours until, yeah. until dark. Can you describe that, how that process worked? Like, yeah, we'd, we would go patrol and you, you we would systematically pick a, a certain house with, that had a good vantage point via, via windows or via the roof um that you know like msrs like the like routes like roads yeah that any anywhere people are going to travel down a route or a road that we could have eyes on yeah whether it be a field whether it be any, any sort of thing like that um so we would go patrol around the, the the ville and then we would pick a house and then we would enter that house so daytime nicely. or nighttime nighttime always all, all night yeah yeah all night on nods and we would go through that house and then we pick it, and then we would very kindly take over that I house. I notice a, a, a little bit of a sly smile while you say very kindly. I mean, were you breaching their doors? Um, so we were doing kind of like superterrorist entry, like really, if we could get in without doing breaching doors, we were. Yeah. Um, and honestly, the better that we got at it, we, to be, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I was actually making, we would make friends with people in the house. Yeah. So it's a, it's a bit of a shock initially because, you have to get in and make sure that they they don't have AKs under the under their mattresses, which they do. Yeah. You know, and 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 not everybody did, but the bad guys do, right? Yeah. They sleep with AKs, so you have to make sure that your team is safe initially when you go in. Once you get through that, then it was like, okay, let's question the family to make sure that everything that they're not part of the insurgency yeah. or they're not, you know, 
And are you rolling with a terp the whole time? Oh yeah. Yeah. And we had a uh, our terp at the time was um, he was um, oh my god my brain he was from the north Kurd yeah. he was Kurdish so he fucking hated all of them all of them <laughs> he hated all of them a bunch of his family had died in Saddam's gassing and yeah so. I, we had to watch him because he was dangerous. Well, yeah. He would just murk people. If we well, yeah, I was going to say, like, you know, <laughs> there's got to be an element that's a little counterproductive in that and that, you know, you've got to kind of check and balance yeah, his you ass have a, a little bit. definitely check and balance. And then um, one of my, um, actually, my RTO actually learned Iraqi while we were there, too, and he was he was starting to, I mean, he was just a ninja. Um, Did you, uh, before you, I guess, continue on that, are are there, were there ever instances where you guys would make entry and you're fairly stealthy, but you got opened up on or, or did you guys always manage to? No, not, not, not in that time frame. Yeah. Yeah. Not in that time frame. We were always managed to like, there was one time that, uh, one dude almost got drilled. He had a gun and it come come to find out he wasn't even an insurgent. He had a gun for the insurgents. Yeah. But just he, as protection. Yeah, yeah. He almost got fucking drilled right in the face in the middle of the night. Yeah. And um, but no, we would question the we would question the family and then figure out where, where they're at and then we would explain what's happening. Yeah. And uh, it was all very it wasn't just like smash mouth. We went from doing like the whack-a-mole smash mouth, breaking shit all the time, to almost getting the people trying to get the people on our side. Yeah. And and it worked because what we did was after so many weeks of that we would be in a house during the day and like looking through glass in the windows and then they would be on the mosque saying we know you're harboring the americans it is your muslim duty to tell us where they're at yeah and and we were just sitting there listening to it <laughs> and then they would walk out in ski mask and get smoked no shit yeah wow I know with, you know, other guests have talked about uh, some, I would say, kind of similar or fairly similar operations. Were there elements of not bribery, but, you know, offering them things to say, hey, we're absolutely. And what, what was that? What was that? Like, what? Would I you- mean, it could have been anything from money to vodka to Viagra to <laughs> like and this and this goes like this is why the, the whole Muslim thing is all bullshit yeah. and everything because they're all hypocrites. Yeah. Um, but. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you want to build relationships. Yeah. I mean, there's there was there was guys that I went back and I would pay for their windows because we'd shoot out their windows. Yeah. And but that's the thing is you're building relationships. Like yeah. The the whole like knuckle dragger mentality of just going around and smashing things and killing people like that's there's a time for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the Soviet doctrine that made them lose in Afghanistan. In right. The 80s, you know? Like there that's a there that's a tool yeah you know to be used at a certain time but sometimes that can't be your only one that can't be your only one you have there needs to be some finesse sometimes so we went from doing the like crush everything mm. to a little bit more finesse and then because during that instance we got a lot out of it yeah were, were there ever any instances where the the host family we'll call them uh, <coughs> um had you know, the opportunity to either try to poison food that they were offering you or, or you know, trick fuck you at all. Did anything like that? We watched that shit so tight. Yeah. No, no even attempts? No. Nothing? We, we'd, uh, so the, the RTO is telling you about, he actually just had his fifth kid. I'm super proud of him. I always kind of worried that he was like a serial killer. <laughs> so he looked like... It's good that he's got five fucking kids. Yeah, he's a, he's a ginger. First, he's a, he was like a little skinny ginger. And, and Brian, if you're listening to this, I love you. He was a radio, he was actually an 0621. He was a radio operator that went to, that became a recon Marine on the team. And um, 
he was a straight geek, like not built like an operator, not like super jacked and ripped, skinny, kind of wiry, um, you know, little kind of guy. But he was like, he was just, he was like, he was making Wi-Fi antennas in Okinawa out of soup cans and then directing them at like the MWR across the street so they could get Wi-Fi in the barracks. Jesus Christ. So what this kid did, I mean, he's not a kid anymore at the time, what he did was, we got the we got the designated mark, the Mark 11s. Which is what? The M110 SAS. I mean, just for the listener, if you kind of explain what the fuck it's a, is. It's like a <clears throat> fully automatic um, or semi-automatic um, sniper rifle. Yeah. Yeah, like a TPM. You mean an like assault that. rifle, Nick? Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking assault everybody with it. Go ahead. Yeah. So it was a 7.62-308 rifle um, with a Smith & Bender scope on it. And um, this kid read the manual for the scope. Who the fuck reads a manual? Yeah. Read the manual. <laughs> Most guys don't. No, I don't read a manual. Yeah. Like, I go shoot it, yeah. and then I zero women, it. Women read manuals. Yeah. So he read the manual for the, for the Smith & Bender scope and read the manual for the, for the gun itself. Um, studied all the ammunition and basically taught himself through math and through the manual to be a sniper. Get the fuck out. And this guy's still in? No, he's, no, he's out. Fucking he, he doesn't need to be in. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's that be. guy that like wears like khaki pants yeah. and a button-up shirt and he's like super clean and walks out in yeah. front of his house and his white picket fence. He's like, hello, neighbor. Yeah. But he's buried like 50 people in yeah. his basement. The fucking accountant. <laughs> yeah, like, the, uh, exactly. So, I mean, I, I hope that this guy's like buried in some R&D lab somewhere with a no, blank checkbook. No, no, but no. He actually, he just, strangely enough, he, he started his uh, own hyper something farm. Oh, really? So he sells organic. Jesus Christ. Like yeah. hydroponic farm? Or yeah. Oh, okay. So he sells all like. Yeah. There's like, probably some other shit going on maybe. Probably. Probably. <laughs> but it's funny. So anyways, he said so one of the biggest things that he did was he, uh, there was a dude that was squirting out and in a vehicle, um, probably doing probably 25, 30 down the road, like squirrely. And uh, with a Mark 11 at 300 meters, shot him right in the grape. Really? Yeah. We call him can- can- Canoe Head. <laughs> He just fucking split his head right open. God damn. And I was like, God yards damn, Brian, you're fucking the man. Through, through glass? Through glass. Holy no, fuck. No, from gl- through glass, through glass of the car at 300 meters uh, on the move. Moving. Dude, that is fucking gnarly. Right? Holy shit. Yeah. Um, I mean, it just goes to show you, like, the the craziness of the all walks of life that, that the military has, which is one of, one of the biggest reasons... It's as amazing as it is, you know, is yeah. that you get such a, a diverse was, fucking crew. But I, I got to say, I was proud of that kid. I yeah. was proud of him that Fuck. day. Shit, I'm proud of him. I don't even know him. <laughs> um, all right, so you finished that deployment up primarily anti-IED. What were the, the follow-on or subsequent uh, deployments, and what did those look like? So right after that deployment, I came, I went back to, we went back to 3rd Recon, and uh, I got promoted to Staff Sergeant. I picked up a, a platoon as a platoon Sergeant. So I had three recon teams of my own. And uh, I got them through a portion, of, a good portion of their workup. Um, the CO and Sergeant Major begged me to stay, but I had a family, and I was I was just done with Okinawa. I wanted to come back to yeah. the great country of America. And at that time, uh, Marsoc had just Second Force had just rolled up and became Second Marine Special <coughs> Operations Battalion under Marsoc. And uh, my deal with the Monitor when I went to Okinawa was that I would go back to Second Force. And uh, he actually had came out to 
um, he actually came out to Okinawa and I said, Hey, is our deal good? Am I going to go back? And he said, yeah. He said, one caveat, you got to go back through selection. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast with firsthand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. Jesus. And I was like, what was that about? I was a fucking, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm a staff sergeant. I'm a platoon sergeant in a reconnaissance community. What do you mean I need to go through selection? How much, how much more do I have to prove myself? Yeah. And uh, so I was pissed about that initially. I was just, it was just like one more kick in the dick. I was like, when do you stop proving yourself? Yeah. Never. The answer is never. <laughs> you never stop proving yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was a little, I was a little cocky. I was, uh, you know, but I went there, uh, I joined my um, Marine Special Operations team. And then I think within a couple months, I went to selection. And uh, once I went through that selection process, I was like, holy shit, this is on fucking point. Yeah. How like, long was that? I can't say. Oh, okay. Selection. You really? Yeah, it's not public. God, of all things, no. they don't fucking want you to talk about it. Huh? Yeah. No, no, no. Selection, it can be, it's just the un. Sometime between time. a week and 12 years. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on, depends yeah. on you. That's yeah. how long it depends is. Depends on how bad you suck. Maybe you'll be there the rest of your fucking life, jackass. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I went through selection, uh, got, went, did the board and made it through, um, and there was honestly, to be 100% transparent, there was actually 0321s that didn't get selected. Yeah. So it was a, it's a, they have a, they make a, they have a very, very solid product um, yeah. at um, ANS, yeah. at assessment and selection from RSOC. And, um, and later before I got out, I was actually fortunate enough to cadre up there yeah. um, and, and run, a, run a selection. So, um, and I even kind of fell in love with it even more. Yeah. There's, selecting very highly capable candidates yeah I, I will say you know the time that i was fortunate enough to spend at the at the center being a seal instructor was you know widely eye-opening yeah uh, in in both good and bad ways i mean there were certainly peaks behind the curtain that were very wizard of oz like in yeah. terms of being like wah, wah, like that's that's really how it fucking works, <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, that's really how they decide who fucking gets this or what, you know, uh, but then there were other elements to it that were just remarkably fascinating, you know, that, uh, that I'll, I'll always be very appreciative to be a part of, but, uh, all right. So after that, how many deployments? Well, here, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you, I can tell you a selection story. Yeah. Um, so because of my experience actually in Al Karma and some of the things that we did with like, you know, working with, uh, I don't know. I don't think you can technically call them sources because you can get into legal stuff thing, but assets or yeah. I don't know, whatever people that you work with <clears throat> um, and having to work with indige people so much. So there's, we, there's a couple scenarios. There's like, you know, you go through selection and you go through, there's scenarios that you go through team building exercises. Well, because I did so well at them, they thought that I cheated. <laughs> <laughs> they, I, I got in trouble because yeah, they, you can't be that fucking smart. <laughs> and right. Yeah. And, and, uh, it, one of this, one of the, the team building things, one of the exercises was literally something that I dealt with in Iraq. Yeah. And it was like exactly, almost exactly the way that something happened in Iraq. 
and I was like, oh, I've done this before. I can hand, I can talk. One, I've, I'm a criminal, so I've talked to the cops. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I know how that works. Talking about Sears school days. Um, and then, uh, and then this scenario, like I, I just handled myself very well. And they, 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 I almost got kicked out of selection because I did it so well. Yeah. I thought you were a fucking cheater. That's yeah, priceless. They, they were like, who fucking told you about this? <laughs> who gave you the leg up? God <laughs> I was like, damn. nobody, I swear. Yeah. Um, so in terms of deployments post, um, it was Afghanistan. It was all Afghanistan. All Afghanistan. Is that where you sustained your injuries or did you get any of them in Iraq? Uh, yeah, not really knowing it. Um, we lost a good guy, Gary Johnston, uh, in an IED explosion. And, um, we got like a, me and another, my point man got blown into a wall and we weren't even, we were farther away from those other guys and the things, but, um, that happened. I didn't really think about it. I rebroke my <laughs> wrist in Iraq during a gunfight. Had we were getting shot at and had to jump over a berm, so I didn't get shot. Um, came down weird. So it was just little weird shit like that. Yeah. Just wear and tear and things. Yeah. And then um, Afghanistan is really where um, I got thrown from an ATV and uh, on a, on a op and yeah. fucking broke everything. Not I, well. I broke my tailbone. Um, so riding bicycles aren't fun anymore. Yeah. Um, but I got, I got, I got knocked out like fucking black Yeah. and had a headache for like five days. And that's really where I guess one of the biggest head traumas was. Um, and we'll probably get into that with the book, but, uh, yeah. Other than that, I'm very, very lucky. No, didn't, yeah. didn't get shot. Didn't lose anything. Yeah. You know, so the, uh, the, de the subsequent deployments in Afghanistan, what can you share about them in terms of what you guys were doing and, and successes, failures, et cetera? Oh, man, the first deployment was just, I felt like such a shit show. We were, we call it the, the spring break tour of, of Afghan of 09 because our MSOT literally just got hoard out to any, anything that needed to get done is what we did. And uh, we, I think we moved, we moved three different bases so we were in Shindan, then we were in Farah, and then we built actually uh, Fob Murphy. You know, mm -hmm. they uh, we our team built Fob Murphy. Really? And then they destroyed it. Fuck. I don't know. I feel like sometimes it was like fraud, waste, and abuse of how much money was spent to build no, that Fob, and then the government doesn't do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was uh, down in Zerko Valley, but it was it started out more of a commando mission, um, and then it and then it it turned as VSO kind of ramped up it turned more into a VSO mission mm -hmm. um, without the support. Yeah. And um, can you so, describe the VSO mission for the listeners? Yeah. So so VSO is Village Stability Operations. And actually, the, the VSO and, and Afghan local police program was is 100% uh, unclassified. It's open. You can read about it. You can yeah. Google it. Um, wildly successful. But um, unfortunately, it's essentially exactly what... Um, fifth group and, and the agency kind of came in, in in Afghanistan in 2001 after after 9-11 yeah. and did like the 12 strong guys and all that and um, that's what they were doing they were working with the local you know force there to uproot the Taliban yeah. and or whatever insurgency force was happening at the time they were empowering the, the villagers and the Northern Alliance the, the former Northern Alliance people to, and you probably know all about this too, to um, kind of take care, take care of themselves. Yeah. And they were training and equipping and then to take care of themselves in a small team, which actually worked. Yeah. 
that, I mean, I don't remember the actual dates, but do you remember like how, when the Taliban was overthrown? Like, well, yeah, I mean, it, I guess from <laughs> <in> Kandahar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from my recollection, it seemed like it was a little bit of a, you know, it was kind of like the uh, mission accomplished sign. Oh, like, you yeah. know, it was like, yeah, everything's good, and then it's like, well, I we got a little more, you know. But well, we did, we did dethrow them, and the, the battle for Kandahar happened, and we yeah. did win. But then, so I actually wrote a white paper. I actually have a uh, on my website. There's a there's a article called long term conflict in afghanistan and it's it's fucking some scary shit man because what you saw happen was after the surge in iraq started to go down the surge in afghanistan started to go up and they brought all the conventional forces in afghanistan and what did we do let's play whack-a-mole yeah let's go do um knock and talks and patrols and all this bullshit it's like shit that we did in vietnam that was getting yeah. people killed yeah and so for for you know five or six years, they sent all these units to Afghanistan just to do conventional forces to fight an unconventional war. Yeah, and it didn't work. Yeah. So what did we do? Okay, the special ops SOCOM came and the lieutenant colonel um, that came up kind of spearheaded the village stability operations in conjunction with AOP, the Afghan local police program, um, brought it back on, and that's what SOCOM started to do. Yeah, and it started to work. Was the were the VSO uh, stabilization ops? Were, is that primarily what you did that second deployment? Yeah, that was all we did. Yeah. We had a uh, we we were up in, up north Af uh, in uh, Balamargab, and um, actually there was a book written about it. Um, Drift was it Dag Dagger two two or Drifter two two or Dagger two two? Yeah, Level Zero Heroes. Yeah, yeah. So that was written by uh, Michael Golombeski, who was um, a JTAC on the team and wrote that story. And uh, it was basically about, so in, in VSO, you have like four or five, uh, depending on who you talk to, you have stages. One of them is clear, clear, hold, build, and then, what was it, clear? I don't remember, but clear, and then basically build and hold. And, uh, and so that team, MSOT 8222, which was my team before I was on it, um, did the clearing portion. So they worked with the ITIs, they worked with SF, and they, they cleared that whole place up there. Yeah. Once that happened, the next team came in and started to build out the AOP, and then we came in and took it on from them. But we had a 314-man surrogate force. Wow. We had 314 Afghan local police in different villages. So if you look at it, like <laughs> each, each village in Bala Magab had its own police force that yeah. we trained and equipped. Were there any... Uh insider fucking problems with anyone? not not in our on our watch yeah. um shortly when we left there started to be some problems down in the southern regions with uh yeah what do they call blue on blue on green or whatever yeah. yeah yeah so that did start to happen it never happened in our area yeah were during that <laughs> that deployment were there any uh gnarly fucking ops that uh, that ended up going bad or you know big fucking gunfights that yeah shit um in in Panarac, there was there were several. I mean, and there was just this gnarly. This, I mean, the terrain you've seen the terrain out there. Yeah. It's just it's just far and big. Yeah. And you can't see motherfuckers, man. They're up in the mountains and the hills, and you cannot see them. Blend in like a fucking mountain lion. Yep. And yeah. uh, so we would, and we were on motorcycles. Oh really? What was what was what's awesome about what the way we did it is we had we completely locked down the entire district to where. With our AOP, with our Afghan local police, we were able to like we looked like 
a motorcycle gang, like a motorcycle rally rolling through Afghanistan. Yeah, <laughs> fucking Sturgis, Afghanistan. Yeah, that's what yeah. it was. I mean, we even had, the AOP even had uh, cuts. No, no said way. AOP, yeah, it said Afghan <laughs> local police, and they had they had cuts on them. They were riding around. God damn. Um, Hajis of anarchy. Yep. Fucking and uh, we knew where our white space was, so we knew where the line was. Yeah. So it was. I, I could go out there dressed like this with a gun, with a pistol on my side, and go pretty much wherever I wanted to, up into a certain point. Yeah. And then we knew, okay, this is where we put our helmet on, and we fucking we strap in because after this line is bad guy land. Yeah. You know. So we yeah. had all the all the hilltops were ALP checkpoints, and yeah. they had PKMs up there and everything. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> but one of the ones that we did was just. A, I, this is a, another book that I want to write, but I want to make it um, basically a, a based on a true story because mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to. Yeah, I want to. There's some things that yeah. we, we can't area. really discuss yeah. on a, the the Marine, but I, I would imagine this story is going to be a lot like Apocalypse Now, but modern day because um, there's some crazy shit that was going on with us. But we. One of the last operations, a very famous picture of me and a buddy, uh, another Nick of mine. <sighs> Fucking crazy, man. It's like any any private first class straight out of like infantry school would see this as a bad idea. But it was essentially we were going to breach the hot gates. And it was, we had, the, the SODIF wanted to us to expand our white space. But they wouldn't support us with more money. They wouldn't support us with more guns. So... It's like, okay, well, we can go down to this village and, and offer them something, but what are we going to offer them? Can you give us more AKs so that we can set, set up an ALP? No. Okay. So. You have fucking peanut butter and jelly. You're going to give us some money to buy some off the black market? No. Okay. So what the fuck do you want us to do, man? Yeah. We want you to go down there and run an operation. But that's, we have nothing. We're going to go down there and we, we're gonna, if we make it, if we, li if we live to breach this thing, <laughs> then what are we going to offer them? Yeah. They said, just fucking execute. <laughs> Roger that. <laughs> fucking execute. So literally, Mike, there's a, a mountain wall that comes down and it like comes right down to this little trail. There's probably a three to four foot dirt trail that we had intel that there was IEDs on the trail. And then there was a rushing river and then a mountain on the other side. Yeah, that's a good spot. That's a good place to run your yeah. force through, right? Yeah, perfect. So... We were betting that the IED was set up more for like a vehicle yeah. weight. So we were rolling the dice that the that the motorcycles wouldn't set it off. Playing fucking IED hopscotch or what? <laughs> yeah. Jesus. So you ready for this? So the picture that is super famous, and you've probably seen it, um, is me and another guy. We got our bikes next to us, and we're standing there, and we got baseball caps on, and we're kind of smirking. And we literally, this is like me at 12 years and him at 12 years. And we're like, and we've known each other for years and we're looking at each other and we're like, fucking, this is how we go out, man. Yeah. This is, this is, this is how we fucking eat it. Yeah. Like after all this shit, after our whole career, cause we actually were in Iraq together. We were in Fallujah at the same time. We were in our first deployment in, uh, in, in Afghanistan, we were together. And then we were on the same team. Finally, we were on the same team, our last deployment. And we're just like how the fuck how this is this is what's going to get us this fucking stupid shit that we know better yeah so him and i fucking like led the charge man right through the thing 
he was on this piece of shit parwas <laughs> and i shit you not we breached the fucking hot, the tangy the hot we called it the hot gates immediately started taking fire this fucking asshole my friend <laughs> nick this asshole's battery falls off his bike and starts dragging through the dirt <laughs> oh, God, through an ied field <laughs> through the fucking route holy shit so i'm like and but his bike's still running yeah. <laughs> his bike's still running so and i'm looking at it going and i told him this your bike is a piece of shit why don't you get a different bike and he's like no because it had more cc's and it was more like a mountain bike and my my bike was more like an Af afghan like road king yeah and his was more like it was more meaty and a little bigger a little like bit more like CCs. an enduro yeah more like an enduro yeah but it was a piece of shit man yeah. so his battery was literally hanging by the fucking positive cable dragging through the dragging <laughs> through the dirt so i stop i get my i get my m110 sas up i get up i return i'm returning fire he's getting this fucking He's getting his fucking battery. He puts his battery in his lap. Holy shit. And we keep fucking, and he like gets back on the bike and then we keep fucking cruising. And then we get to the house. You know, we get to the, we, we, we make entry to the first house and then we set up and we're taking fire from one side and across the river from the other side. And it's and just the two of you. No, no, no. There's, there's a, I mean, we have fucking like AOP. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't even remember how we, we probably had 70 something Afghans with us. Oh, okay. And then there's probably, I don't know, 10, 10, 10 gringos. Yeah. Yeah. One of which was a human minesweeper dragging the <laughs> yeah, dragging this fucking, <laughs> I hope he listens to this. Probably won't, but <clears throat> anyway, so uh, I've never actually, I've never told the story. This is, this is part of what's going to be in the book. That's yeah, two, uh, two mic drop exclusives. Yeah. So uh, anyways, so, <laughs> so we get to the thing and then he had a scar, he had a scar heavy and he ran all the, he ran it with it unsuppressed and i always i my uh, m110 sas i would run suppressed because it's more accurate and so we get up to this wall and he's literally like as close to me as this fucking microphone and he's like blasting this and i and we're in the middle of a gunfight and you only only you can uh, you know guys like you can understand this i stopped shooting for a second i look at him and i'm like get the fuck away from me <laughs> I'm like, oh, would you? You're fucking killing me with that gun. Yeah. Like, get the fuck away from me. <laughs> so he moved over a little bit, and I was like, God damn it, Nick. <laughs> and then we keep shooting. But he was, and he just laughed. Like we're in the middle of a gunfight, and he, yeah. he's like laughing at me. I'm like, you and your fuck. fucking bike. So we get done with that. We <laughs> we kill those dudes. And he's like, and he's like, okay, I'm gonna go work on my bike. I'm like, yeah, you think? <laughs> <laughs> your fucking piece of shit bike god damn but we went down there we yeah and then we i pushed down for even further and uh we we killed some people down there and um dropped some mortars it was it was actually a pretty fun pretty fun op but then we got we <coughs> linked up with the 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 villagers there once we cleared it all out and uh kind of had a meeting and they straight up said they were like okay thanks for coming down uh what what do you have to offer us yeah like well, uh, uh, nothing. Yeah. We have we have we have nothing to offer you. <laughs> They're like, sweet, thanks for coming and fucking all our shit up. Yeah, <laughs> you know what God I mean. God damn. And so then we left. Just, holy shit. And that was it. But yeah. you know what, Mike? I, I it's probably one of my the, my greatest things. Um, nobody got hurt, man. Yeah. Nobody got hurt. We were able to breach that thing. Um, our 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 Overwatch was on the other side of the river, up on a mountain, and um they were actually above the clouds really oh, that was handy yeah doing nothing doing fucking absolutely nothing and throwing. then we got in a fight and they were like they had 81s and they were like 
hey, you want us to drop mortars? I'm like, fuck no, you can't even see me. Like, don't, yeah. like, Easy, absolutely Cuban. not. Yeah. Jesus Christ. The, uh, did, well, so on that whole deployment, I mean, it sounds like that. That was towards the end. That was like one of the last ops that we, yeah. we left. And so, I mean, the, the, the bulk or the gist of that whole deployment was village stabilization. Did you guys lose anybody on that deployment? <coughs> nope. No, nope, nobody. Nope. So you brought go, everybody home, man. Yeah. So you go back home and at, at any time during that deployment or, or after, did the thought process uh, kind of go through your mind, just kind of thinking about the difference between, you know, your recon deployments versus the MARSOC deployments? Yeah, it did. And I, actually, when I got out, it really did even more. And uh, I didn't really realize how much recon prepared me for. And this is not, I'm not talking about recon training. Yeah. I'm talking about my experience in the current time that we were in. Yeah. How much it prepared me for special operations. Specifically the three-year stint in Okinawa. Yeah. 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 So being, having to work with other different agencies, having to work with like on the MU and then like in like embassies and, and different political people and, yeah. and then looking at like, okay, playing whack-a-mole versus strategic planning and intelligence and yeah. you know really making effects on the battlefield mm -hmm. that is what i felt like prepared me for marsoc the most yeah and so you finish that deployment you come home what was the span like between your time home and then going on on the last one because it was that was the last deployment after that was it oh that was the last one that was the last one okay there's a great deployment to go out on yeah. rolling around rolling around with a big fucking gun on motorcycles yeah. with my boys yeah no shit <laughs> Um, so when you, you got back and, and this is kind of where we'll pick up, uh, where the book essentially starts, right? What, what was the time frame from when you got back until you a made the decision to get out and B actually did. I made the decision to get out on that deployment. Was um, it what, can you describe your thought process as to the why? I was burnt, man. I was a total of like operation type stuff. Like big deployments was five. Um, and then total of everything was like seven. And uh, I was done with the politics of the military. Yeah. And I was done with, um, yeah, I was just burnt, man. And most of the people in that were my age group, had been in in my rank, had <clears throat> done some sort of break. They yeah. went to the schoolhouse. They did something. And because I like very strategically maneuvered myself from unit to unit, I never went to the schoolhouse. I never took a break. Yeah. So I was pretty much operational from the entire time I went to Turkey in 2002 until I got out. Yeah. I, there was no downtime for me. So a solid decade, basically. It's a solid yeah. decade of, of just putting training, training and putting in work. And um, I, I was, you've, we've all seen it. You know that, that old... E8, E9, who's just like oh, a yeah. drunk and yeah. bitter and angry. He's, he's one of the biggest reasons people get out at 12 years, yeah. my, myself included, because I got out at, at 12 and changed the exact same way. I was and, turning into that guy. Yeah. I was becoming just like a really angry person. Yeah. When I, you mentioned something in the book uh, a couple of times where people were like, well, you only have eight years left. Why don't you just stay in? It's like you're at 12. Why would you get out with, you know, that short a time left? It's like, are you out of your fucking mind? But yeah, Do you know I, what eight years is? Yeah, eight <laughs> years is about fucking two centuries in the in the military. In well, it's like, yeah, it does, go, okay, you know, it's only eight years. Go to prison. Yeah, go know, sit shit. in prison for eight yeah. years and tell me yeah. if that's okay with you. Yeah, hold a handstand for eight years, yeah. fuckface. The, uh, one of the things that, um, that I'm curious about, I guess, in, in reading it is, 
you know, from your burnt, you make the decision to get out. Um, you mentioned some cadre time um, between when you got back from that deployment and then I know you mentioned uh, taking a, a vacation to Greece, but what if you could just kind of do a chronological timeline of, of the day you get back from deployment until the day you actually got out? Yeah, that was, uh, so I got back in February of 2012 and I was on terminal basically like August of oh, 2012. Wow. Yeah, okay, so a quick fucking turn. Did you do your cadre time in that During week? that time, yeah. yeah. So I went to selection because I was done. Yeah. I, I wasn't gonna be on a team, so they're like, hey, we're gonna go to selection. So actually me and that guy, Nick, who also got out, um, shit, like, uh, I wanna say like 75% of that team got out after that deployment. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I went to selection and, and did cadre for NS. Yeah. And, uh, and then at that point it was all just medical and getting your shit together to get out. And yeah. I had no fucking plan. I just knew that I was, I was very confident in my abilities and I knew that I could get a job somewhere. Yeah. And I, I didn't, I didn't really have a plan, man. I was just yeah. like, I'm out yeah. and I'm going to figure it out. I had something like, I mean, you know how it is when you're in that job, yeah, you get leave, yeah, but you never days. take it. Yeah. yeah. I had like 120 days leave. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you start to lose it at a certain yeah. point. Um, there's an element of what you were talking about when we first sat down about, uh, you know, your reverse psychology type of mentality. And there was a quote from uh, from the book that now makes even more sense. You're getting out in this fucking economy. You know, oh, that was a fucking general. A, a, well, even even better then is that uh, that there was that struck a hell of a chord with you, right? One hundred percent. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah. He. I mean, I, I brought up three three issues with him, and I have a lot of respect for this general. Yeah. Uh, so don't so don't take don't get it twisted. He, I think he's one of the best things. He's one of the best generals that uh, ever served Marsoc and probably in the Marine Corps, hands down. But that one thing he said, I just didn't agree with him. And you know, he's a general officer, so he's kind of you know he's, in, he's institutionalized, oh, and that's yeah. his whole world. Yeah. Um, so he's looking at a he's looking at a staff sergeant with twelve years in, going, the "Fuck, are you gonna do? What the fuck are you gonna do, dude?" Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, "Well, thanks to you, sir, I have a fucking <laughs> hell of a resume yeah. and a TSSCI, so pretty much any fucking thing I want to do." <laughs> yeah. And the the reason why I said that is we had a, and we still do the Zone C people in the Marine Corps um, in zone C for the civilian people who are listening is like, say you have your first four years or your second first four years, your zone A, and then your next eight, you, once you get to eight, your zone B, and then you get to 12, your zone C. Is that, I hope yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So the zone C uh, bonuses are for non-existent. They were non-existent. Yeah. So it's almost like they were giving the brand new guys like 90 G's yeah. to come in, but it's like, dude, they want to come in. Yeah. Oh, and they don't have shit to offer either, yeah. except a young, strong back and a fucking naive attitude. Right. But you now know? you have a guy who's, who's your, your, he is your resident expert. Yeah. Like that 12, 13 year mark, that yeah. dude knows how to, he, not only is he not senior enough to be out of a team, yeah. but he actually has all the experience and all the know-how to do everything. Yeah. We, we had the exact same issue, I mean, verbatim, like yeah. exact same issue. What pissed me off, too, was that, you know, just before I got out or as <laughs> I was getting out, the, the higher-ups in, in all their fucking glory um, decided to institute, you know, on top of the, the zoning, you know, mm -hmm. reenlistment structure that was bullshit of, of forcing guys with, you know, a decade-plus of a lot of experience out, 
who are your most valuable guys, um, is that they also made for themselves the, if you're at 19 years and, and you re-up for five, yeah. we'll give you 150000 Right. You know, like... But, we'll just, but at that point, you're... Well, yeah, I mean, that's a total, you know, fucking snow job of just guys yeah. taking... I mean, it's like congressmen fucking instituting a congressional pay raise. Yeah, we had know? that too. Yeah, it was the, basically to put them at like 23, yeah, right? Yeah, like, I mean, like there's, no, there's no faster way to force your 10 to, to 16-year veterans out than to not give them a bonus and and give bonuses like a motherfucker to the brand new spankers and and then hook the guys up that are too old and broken to do and anything. Then, yeah, anyway. and then kind of like, and then unfortunately kind of treat them like shit. Oh, kind yeah. of like they're, bas- they're like the oh, bastard yeah. kids. Yeah, I know a lot. I mean, like I said, I got out at, at 12 and change, and a lot of guys did Jeff for all did. the same reasons. Yeah, yeah, Jeff and I got yeah. out almost the same yeah. exact time. yeah. There's there's a the way that you describe the actual getting out process, and by that I mean the the day that you separated. I think will resonate with a lot of people, myself included, is that you have this mental, you know, perspective or or idea in your mind of of how that's going to be, and and it's like you just won the fucking prices right, and it couldn't be further from that. You know, no. it's like the most benign, anticlimactic fucking kick in the balls. <laughs> like holy yep. shit, like that's really it. That's it. You know, like you, you really, you, you really come to terms with how fucking disposable you are, you know? And, and it's crazy because like, you got to think you have, there, here's an individual that went through selection process yeah. after selection process, after buds, after training, after training, after training to, to be this thing. Right. Yeah. And then when it's time to go. Yep. Yeah. It's fucking, who are you? Well, and, and to me, like that, that's one of the shitty things of the military is that unless you do 20 years, Nobody gives a fuck. And even then, they only pretend to give a fuck for a ceremony. <laughs> yeah. You know, They don't really. It's actually a pain in the ass. Yeah, I mean, most people yeah. are like, God damn, we got another fucking retirement to go to. I got to get my uniform ready. You know, they don't want to go there anyway for, for most of them. You know, but it, it is, it's a shitty way to, whether you want to call it reward or recognize, you know, the length of, of service that so many guys put in. And, and not that any of us <laughs> do it for the recognition anyway, but... But still, it, it still sucks. It, it would it would be nice to have some sort of slap on the fucking back, like, "Hey, thanks for giving us the prime of your goddamn life." Yeah, you know something. You're the the best years of your yeah. whole entire life. Yeah, like you, yeah, yeah. You, you used up the prime. You used up your body. You know, tenfold more than you would have anywhere else. Um, but you you talk about kind of that night. If you could, you know, tell tell the listener yeah, a little I, bit about that. So in the book, it basically talks about you know I'm super stoked, right? It's like the it's it's the day has come. I'm gonna be a civilian. I'm free, and uh, I'm gonna grow a beard. Oh yeah, I'm, I, I already had a beard. Yeah. It's in the it, yeah. there's a picture in the book of me. I send yeah. my DD two fourteen to my team. You know those team group chats. Oh yeah, you gotta love those. And uh, I sent a picture, and you know, and I'm super stoked, but. Something kind of resonated with me, and, and I write about it. Is I go in there, and you know, like when you go into an administrative thing in the Marine Corps or any military branch, it's a fucking pain in the ass. Yeah, I was the asshole that didn't know what he was doing, and I was fucking yeah. people over. Well, that happens all the time. Yeah. So I was expecting that. I was expecting to go in. They didn't have my shit, and it was the complete opposite of that. It was completely clean. It was. They walked in. They had my shit, and they was like, "Turn in your." your uh your access badge to the command and um you're done yeah and i walked out the door shut and i couldn't get back in if i wanted to yeah that was it yeah that was 12 years all the selection all the hard work all the all the sacrifice wrapped up in in a a door slam yeah and like 
my heart kind of sank. Yeah. And I didn't admit it to my, I didn't admit it, but like inside I was like, holy fuck. Yeah. All that just ended with a door shut. Yeah. Just like that. And I tell people, I'm like, there's no grand finale. Mm -hmm. There's no big hurrah. You just fizzle out. Yeah. You just fade the, you just fade away. Yeah. Well, and, and to further kind of dramatically hammer that point home that night, like it's, it's even a, a further yeah, sad I, indication of that. Yeah. I, um, I come home and you, you would think that it's supposed to be like a big celebration and because of being gone for, you know, I, I was, I was in for 12 years. I was married for uh, almost the entire time of that. Um, out of those 12 years I was gone. So my, out of my military service of 12 years, I was actually gone six years. Yeah. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. away from my home, whether deployment or training. Yeah. So half of my time I was gone yeah. with two little girls and everything. So I came home and you would think there would be like a, I don't know, we'd pop champagne and, yeah. and, and party and, and celebrate the, the next chapter of our life. And instead, I don't even remember what the fight was for. We ended up getting in an argument. And I remember that end of that night, I was sitting on the couch with a glass of whiskey by myself. Yeah. Wife was in bed, kids were in bed. Yeah. And I'm sitting there on the couch with a glass of whiskey, just going, What the fuck? Yeah. Were you was there a, an element of uh depression that, that uh not a, not a, not initially. Yeah. There was something that kinda came on set over the over the next you know, six months to a year. So just more shock that first night. Yeah, yeah. It was more shock and just kind of like and then over the time, and this is and this is where the book kind of comes into play, like that lifestyle is 300 miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah. It is 300 miles an hour. And then you go from 300 miles an hour to zero. Yeah. I mean, the, the civilian world does not move as fast. They yeah. don't care what you do. Yeah. I mean, my life kind of moves pretty fast, but yeah. I've, I create, I created that, yeah. that pace, um, to zero. Yeah. And what happens though, over that past 12 years or your service, you collect lots of baggage, yeah. but it's all, it's the caboose. Mm -hmm. You're not having to deal with it because you're moving at 300 and it's moving at 300. But the yeah. problem is when you stop, yeah. all that baggage is still moving 300 miles an hour and it hits you right in the back of the head. Yeah, slams you right in the ass. Slams you right in the ass. It, well, and I'm assuming, I, I know for me, um, this was absolutely a, a huge component in the transition period being tough is probably the toughest part for me and, and it sounds like it was for you and I think for anybody listening out there that has a, a job that they kind of identify with you know for a period of time a significant period of time where that's kind of it becomes part of your life that when now that's not there there's a, a big fucking hole yeah. You know, and I know that, you know, especially given, you know, guys like you and I that came in basically right out of fucking high school uh, and spent, you know, from from 18 to, to early 30s, mm -hmm. you know, being completely institutionalized and, and micromanaged every second of every day 
by the United States military. And then now all of a sudden, here you are, a, a grown man with children in your early 30s, and there's nothing like that. And and the hole that exists, because, you know, you, you go from being, well, you know, for me it was like I was known as a SEAL. You were known as a fucking a raider. A raider or MARSOC force recon guy. And that's your identity. Like, you really that's don't have you a are. personal identity. You're a fucking raider. Everything that you, like, the way you eat, your everything. gear, your garage, yeah. your, the way you train, yeah, the guns that you have, everything yeah. that revolves, the kids, that the kids, who your kids hang out with, yeah. the schools, yeah, your whole life. Yeah, your whole, whole cultural existence is, is that. Um, and, you know, I think for a lot of people, um, you know, that, that, again, something that I think surprises most people who have not served is that, you know, the U.S. military and the government does a spectacular job preparing us to go to war, by and large. And that's their mission. Yeah. What they do a equally spectacular piss poor job <laughs> of is coming back from it uh, yes. and, and actually getting out is that 100%. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know, and, and there's actually one thing and, <laughs> and, you know, forgive me if this is completely fucking incorrect, but I, I've I've read that, you know, back Again, in the times where your heritage, uh, you know, has a lot of folklore and, and, and pop culture behind it now is that they actually focused really heavily on when guys came back for war from war or were getting out or whatever, is that they would send them to these almost, I mean, what you'd consider in today's day and age, like a retreat spa kind of thing where you spend, you know, weeks or even months decompressing and, and you know, going through these different protocols to fucking unwind your mind and not just throw people right the fuck into civilian populations after they just right. were in combat or just spent 12 years. Because I mean, it's it's very similar, you know, the feeling of I was in Baghdad fucking three days ago and now I'm in fucking Coronado having a, having a piece of pizza at fucking Island Pasta or whatever. Um, like that's a, a shitty spot to put guys in. Uh, uh, I was that was the that was the way it was for me almost every deployment. Yeah. Like you would be literally in a gunfight, and then within seventy two hours you're in your living room and your kids are crying. Yeah, and it's it, it, like no, it's a fucking shitty spot to put guys in. And I think it's equally shitty, or or possibly even more shitty, to have twelve years or however long and just all right, thanks, and and you're just fucking that's it. Yeah. You know, and uh, it, it's not, it shouldn't, you know, be a secret or a surprise, rather, uh, you know, that, that the, the type and severity of issues that exist with a lot of combat veterans exist the way they do because of how the transition process is not very, very, or at all regulated by the U.S. military. If you could talk to the, the struggle that you had going from, you know, a super institutionalized micromanage military mentality and then just kind of disappearing getting out the the loss of the tribe that you're used to being surrounded yeah by. and that's and i think that's where all the problems stems from one um i didn't when i left i didn't think one i didn't think i have any issues i yeah. was like i was right as rain um ready for civilian life i was already in my mind i was already transitioned to a civilian um but the problem like you said was i didn't actually know who i was yeah if, we have to if, find it, really. If, yeah, if I'm not a raider or a, rec a recon marine, then then what am I? Yeah. And who is Nick? Yeah. And that's where I struggled, and and I got out. And you talk about this like brotherhood, right? And all your friends and all that, you know, everything that's on your team, and like you know, raider for life kind of thing, seal for life, and that everybody's gonna have your back and. Yeah. That's all. Unfortunately, it's all a lie. Well, it's it's only there when it needs to be. Right. You know, which is on active duty. Right. And then when you're out, man, you're out, man. Yeah. You're not in the club anymore. Yeah. And 
I felt that really, so it was, it was multifaceted. So I felt that I started, to, I lost grip of my, it started to hit me that I was no longer this thing, but I didn't know who I was or what I wanted. And on top of that, all the baggage from all of our friends that were gone and, you know, things that had happened was just colliding with me. I mean, I, I remember like the guys that we lost in, in Iraq, our friends, I had never even thought about that because I got back from that deployment and I went right into another platoon and then I went right to Marsoc and went right to another workup and deployment and I just moved on. Yeah. And I didn't process the events that happened to me in 2006 until 2013. Wow. <clears throat> and I remember I started to see Gary Johnston in like in Dustin Lee in a crowd. Like I would be driving and I would see Gary standing in a like the most bizarre shit. <clears throat> and and obviously I'm not seeing him. My mind is yeah. seeing someone that looks like him, but he's now all of a sudden now he's on the forefront of my mind so that I'm I'm picturing him in things. Yeah. All this stuff kind of started to resurface and um, in conjunction with that, like now when you stop moving, you start, and you're, you're in your early thirties, I, I started having testosterone issues. Yeah. I didn't know about that. Mm -hmm. So like I was not sleeping. I didn't from two, I didn't sleep from 2009 to 2014. Wow. At night. So I had five years of Just, not, not sleeping. Yeah. And so you put that on top of it and then you have now your your testosterone is low because you've damaged your pituitary gland and uh, so your your endo, endocrine system is completely shot and now you've slowed down so you live with this high adrenaline lifestyle and now you just you're just everything is crashing your body's crashing so all of a sudden you're putting on weight that you've never had in your entire life yeah you know you're in your early 30s and you're like what the f like your whole life is falling apart yeah you don't want to be around your kids you don't want to be around your wife. Um, everything just sucks. Yeah. And you think that everyone else sucks, but really it's just you that sucks. Yeah. And, but you don't understand that. But you or don't why. understand that or why. You yeah. don't understand what is, what, no one told you that these things were going to happen. Yeah. And, and I don't want anybody to think like, listen, like, <clears throat> oh, poor you or anything like that. No, fuck all that. Yeah. Like, there's no entitlement, there's no victim. So anybody that, and I'm gonna to get to this in a second because I just had a conversation with a veteran about this. Um, there's no pity parties for vets. Do not feel sorry for veterans. They signed the dotted line, they volunteered. There's no draft service, Yeah. you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. we all volunteered, most of us volunteered multiple times. So you get what you get, man. And what I say is like what you're talking about, the military's job is to train and equip people to fight and win our nation's battles. They're not there to make Nick a good civilian. I think they should be, though. I mean, I really I, do. Like, I think they could do a better job. Yeah. But their focus is no. I mean, their to, focus is to fight. Yeah. I, I guess let me rephrase that: is that the U.S. government? I think has a responsibility to people that that do volunteer. Now, I don't think the military <laughs> should be in charge of it. Don't don't yeah. mistake that. And for anybody listening, no. Just like I mean, the, the entire reason the Warrior Dog Foundation exists is because. The U.S. military, specifically special operations and, and police units, their their job is to win wars, you know, police the streets, whatever. And, and, and in terms of the use of canines, it's their job to get them ready and, and whatever. Yeah. When that job is over, you, you can't use the resources that you've been using to, to prepare dogs for combat or for policing operations uh, for the retirement, having said that, because it's, it's only going to detract from the mission. And similarly with the military, however, I think... 
the U.S. government and the Department of Defense, especially because it's an all voluntary, uh, all voluntary force, is that there there is a level of of ownership and responsibility that falls on the shoulders of the U.S. government, Department of Defense, to create, you know, whatever it is, a fucking a, a unit, a another fucking branch. I mean, whatever so you want to. But they th- like like far as the Marine Corps has, they think that they have. Yeah, well, they haven't. That they know. they think that they have, and unfortunately, I mean, so I I told them that I would go on Camp Lejeune and I would give talks yeah. about this book and 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 in uh, my experiences for free. Yeah, and I almost got ran out of there because the transition assistance program taps. Ta- yeah, taps um, is a con- a multi million dollar contract yeah. with the military. Yeah, that civilians put on. Yeah. Now you start talking about coming in and helping them. Now you're messing with their paycheck. No, I agreed. I mean, and, and to me, that's that's as bad of a reason to not, you know, fucking fix it as as exists. But to me, just you know, on, on a very simplistic and, and maybe overgeneralized level, but to me, the the principle remains the same: is that there needs to be a a way better process, however it's put in place, that exists to to help you know, veterans transition out of the military and, and into the civilian community. Do you know why it's failing is because they're focusing on the wrong things? No, agreed. They're you know. focusing on logistical stuff. Yeah. Vice the human being aspect yeah. of the, of, of the transition. Yeah. And, and there's, you know, that's one part. I think another big part is again, is the bureaucracy of, of contracts. Right. You know, uh, and there's a million reasons. I mean, that's its own fucking episode. But they're, fo- but they're, they're focused on like resumes and, yeah. and job yeah. searches. Fucking and, getting the right suit. But yeah. this, but like you said, you're right. If they had their shit together, there would yeah. be no need for the Raider Project. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, same thing. I mean, if Warrior Dog <laughs> wouldn't exist, if you know, uh, an entity federally funded fucking program took care, that took, took care took of the care dogs of once they're done, yeah. you know. And I do. I want to stress. I think it should be a, a completely separate entity. When you start mixing, you know, budgeting and funding and and resources and and billets, people, etc., from military war fighting or policing units. And now you're cutting some of that pie for for the after stuff. Like that's never going to work. There's always going to be a, a pissing match, and, and it's it's going to fucking. And so, like on that vein, the reason why what I've found was, uh, you know, when we first, when I first started the Raider Project, they I thought <laughs> I thought that uh, I was just going to get people jobs. Yeah. And uh, and then if so, if I could take a special operator and get him a six figure job, then he's happy, right? Like veteran monster. Yeah. Then he's yeah he's then he's then he's good, right? Long as we've got long as we're making money, we're happy. Not true. Not true, right? And so that was my initial focus because because I wasn't there yet. Yeah. And what I've over the years, and this is the reason why, like that, how that book got written was overdoing this over time, was I realized that it wasn't a logistical issue; it was a human being issue. Yeah. I was like, if I can get a guy healthy and stable, I don't need to do shit logistical because yeah. he's got work aptitude, he's yeah. got a decent resume. Yeah. He could, a job's going to land in his lap. Yeah. To me, the two keys are, are, I mean, and you outline it very succinctly in the book, is, is the trifecta of good sleep, physical fitness, proper nutrition. But there's another component that we'll get into uh, in some of the notes I have in the, in the respective chapters is, and I think this is the most important thing once, you know, the, the equilibrium is established is, is purpose. Yeah. Because if, if they have, you know, those, those three things and a purpose, fucking sky's the limit. But 
I'll use that as a segue into, you know, the first two chapters of the book are essentially, you know, a, a synopsis of what we're talking about, which is excitement of getting out. Yeah. But then the apprehension, uh, you know, which is the shortest stage, by the way, it's, yeah, like, excitement. Yeah, it's about 20 minutes and then the door shuts <laughs> and the door shuts and you're like, wait a minute, you're holding the bag. You're like, fuck me. What just happened? Uh, but then the apprehension of, of the unknown also. And, and yeah. So if you could just kind of, you know, we've already kind of circled that a bit, but uh, the the excitement and apprehension phase of, of well, step yeah, I mean, imagine two. like for you, the guys listening, like imagine being, you know, it's almost like it's. I hate to keep making fun, like equating it to prison, but imagine being in prison from the time you're 18 to you're 32. Yeah, and then at 32 years old you're a man and then you step out on your own. Yeah. You have no idea how to live your life. You know, and I'm not saying, and don't, don't get me wrong that I'm saying that people are incapable of living their lives or like incapable of learning how to, knowing how to pay a bill or something. It's not like that. It's a completely culture shift of, that's the reason why I'm doing something drastic of if you're in pr like prison, that kind of, that kind of, uh, community, you know, closed knit, like this is the world that you live in. And then you step out on the street and there's fucking Walmart and Starbucks and people yeah. and cars and all this kind of stuff that you've never even yeah. been exposed to. That's what it's like. Yeah. It, yeah, no, absolutely. And you're like, okay, so I've got to, what about healthcare for my family? Yeah. What about this? What about, you know, yeah. how, how do I navigate the VA? How do I get my own healthcare? Yeah. Um, I got to pay my bills, my mortgage. What, you yeah. know, what do you mean I got to pay $1,500 a month? And yeah. <laughs> well, and all of these, you know, <laughs> culture shock stark realizations that take place lead to chapter three, which I love the title, Bowl of Bad Emotions. And I'll read uh, just a, a quick little excerpt from, uh, from your book where it says, it's a mix of apathy, indifference, detachment, anger, lack of motivation, bitterness, and seems like, you know, all of life can be that way if, if you leave it that way. Talk about your experience with that, that transition from, okay, I got out and now you realize all this shit and, and these really, you know, evil, evil components of, of your psyche start to creep in and start to really fuck with your life. So that is, it, you know, we, we kind of, we brushed over it earlier, but I guarantee every single person that's listening has met a veteran that seems like that all way. those things. Sure. Fuck and, most of them. And unfortunately, if they don't fucking own their shit and deal with it, they will stay in those bowl of bad emotions until something bad happens. Yeah until they make a, uh, what I, you know, like a, a permanent decision to a temporary problem. But for me personally, that's what it all came down to. It was, it was a, I call it the bowl of bad emotions because it wasn't just one thing. It was, it was everything. It was, it was losing my identity. It was, um, not having the brotherhood that I thought that I once had not being happy with my family and my relationship. It was feeling like I didn't accomplish what I actually wanted to accomplish. Like I, not that I left on bad terms, but I didn't, well, when you're in, you have goals. Yeah. You want to do these certain things. So I, I felt like I, I, maybe I pulled chalks or too early. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't, even though I was making, I mean, I was, I, my first year out, I made $163,000. Yeah. It, it, uh, 160,000. Yeah. 160,000. And, and so it wasn't a money issue, but I, I had no purpose. Uh, I was getting bombarded with all the, the baggage that was 300, you know, moving 300 miles an hour that hit me square in the back of the head. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was across the board, everything. And man, and then on top of that, my testosterone was at a 190. Yeah. And I'm 30, I'm 31, 32 years old. Mm -hmm. 
I'm depressed. I'm not sleeping. I'm, I'm, I, when I work out, I'm not getting joy from training. It, it's, it's like life, overall life just sucks. Yeah. Everything. And so during this period, how, how long did, uh, did that last before it kind of took a turn for the worse where it, where it gets into, you know, more serious stuff? Like, was that a, a year process? A two it was year about process? a year. Yeah. It was six months to six months to a year. Um, yeah before that like i had kind of like that breaking moment yeah when i had to go down to the beach and i was contemplating fucking calling it quits yeah um and because and, and i wasn't sleeping so i was just i was exhausted from feeling this way i was exhausted yeah. from feeling depressed i was exhausted from being angry i was exhausted from being just apathetic yeah i was exhausted from not having not getting the training that i wanted to train yeah um at that point, had you talked to any any other guys that you knew that had gotten out before or after no. that? No reaching out to anybody, huh? No. Yeah. And uh, my friends, at the time, I thought they abandoned me. Yeah. You know, we've all re reconciled, and we're all like now. Now, one of them is my business partner. But um, what the active duty thinks when somebody gets out is they're living life. Yeah. They're like, oh, Nick's out. He's fucking got a good job. He's doing his family thing. He's a civilian now. He's fucking living on the high life, yeah, you know, and then we're back doing deployment shit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so you have this perception that once somebody gets out that, that they've like ascended to the heavens, yeah, you know, so you, they don't think that nothing, anything's wrong. Yeah. So for, uh, well, two things, one, I, you know, we, we talk pretty specific to the military experience. I have a, a, a ton of, uh, you know, police officer listeners also that, that it's the exact same thing. Is well, that, this, you know, this actually, this book, the number two seller of this book is law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so everything that we talk about, <laughs> you know, you, you can make a direct parallel to, you know, spending however many years as a, as a cop and then now you're not in, in that same empty hole, yeah. a lot of the same range of you emotions. You know, it also gets the same, the same concept as mm. mothers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mothers that put their life on pause for 20 years to raise their yeah. kids and yeah, then the kids lose, leave the house. Yeah, they lose their identity as a, as a mom. And now they're just a mom and they're not Susie or but they're not the a fuck mom. they were. Yeah, yeah they're just yeah. In, in the house alone. Yeah. That's another, that's been another big hit with this book as well. Yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. Um, the, I, I am curious, I guess, was there a, an element um, specific to chapter three where it starts to get worse, but before we get into the circling the drain of chapter four and, and where it gets really bad? But, you know, when you first started to have those those feelings and thought processes creep in, was it com a complete uh, element of denial on your part? That 100%. That, can you talk to that? Yeah, I uh, when I got out, I did not, one, I did not believe in post-traumatic stress. I was that asshole in the service that was like, if somebody said they had post-traumatic stress and they were just weak, they were just a bitch, yeah. you know, or having an identity crisis, they were just a weak person. Yeah. And, uh, and so I didn't think that I had any sort of issues with anything that had happened with, uh, and I, I don't want to get twisted. Post, most guys, especially in the special operations world, do not have post-traumatic stress from fighting the enemy typically what what we've seen is they have a lot of post-traumatic issues with losing brothers. Yeah. That's really where like the, the hurt kind of comes from. Um, and the trauma kind of comes from, would you say that, uh, or, or themselves, they get injured themselves and that's kind of yeah. a traumatic event themselves. Would you, and I talked with Dakota at length uh, a couple of weeks ago when I had him on about this type of stuff, I'm curious with the Raider project and the amount of outreach that you've had with uh, as many veterans as you have, 
Um, how much um, survivor's guilt issues do you tend to, to find that you have to work through uh, as it relates to that? Almost, I would say almost 100% of the people. And, and so when somebody comes to you and you identify classic survivor's guilt, what's kind of the primary protocol that you take to try to alleviate some of that depression I, from it? I'm glad you said that because when I first started, it was kind of like this, I was kind of mothering guys. Mm -hmm. You're like coddling? Coddling. Yeah. And when you do that with a guy with a with a with a man that is used to kind of having his his nuts kicked in yeah. next thing you know you're breastfeeding yeah exactly <laughs> it just goes straight to breastfeeding right yeah. um so i did that for a long time until um one of my mentors carl monger with gallant few said he, he kind of like he said listen man these are like military people like you can snatch a knot in their ass yeah and and they will respond to it so once I went through my stuff and then I started to work with guys, I started to do that. I'm like, hold hold the fucking phone here. You're the guy that went through RIP, BRC fucking like selection, the most got the fucking Raider of the Year award. You're, you've killed more people than fucking polio. And all of a sudden, civilian life is what's going to fucking cripple you and kill you. Yeah. Give me a fucking break. Yeah. Like you're a warrior. Act like it. Act like it. Yeah. So why can't why can't we combat you know, like transition and combat post-traumatic stress or combat an injury or combat depression just with the same fucking tenacity that we do the enemy. Yeah. That shit blew my mind, man. Yeah. And once I, once I got through my own shit and owned my own shit and, and, and fucking got through it, it just, it was so clear. I was like, how are these warriors fucking succumbing to like depression? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and to me, the one of the things that I talked with Dakota, and I won't beat the dead horse because he and I spent, you know, a fair bit of time on it, but but it ties right into this, and it's been my approach both with myself and, and having some really close friends of mine, uh, you know, killed in action that uh, that negatively impacted me pretty significantly. But there was there was one turning point for me that I that ironically I, I use and I and I probably did it by default because I use it so much in dog training is is uh, projecting is I always try to put myself in the dog shoes to see you know okay how am I like if if I'm having a problem with a dog I can't get him to do what I want what am I doing wrong like yeah. you know what I what I need to do first is put myself in the perspective of the dog and understand from from his you know, viewpoint, what is going on and what, what the fucking problem is. And, and I took that same approach with my, you know, lost brothers in that, you know, I'm, if I, if I now put myself in their shoes and, and I was one that didn't come back and I saw one of them sitting around squandering their life, yeah, fear, feeling sorry for the fucking opportunity that I didn't get, like yeah. I would bitch slap them, yeah. you know? And, and so for me, like that, that's what made it really fucking clear cut for me to say, I'm going to fucking maximize it. There's going to be times where I have bad days, but, but ultimately like every, I, we are on borrowed time. Yeah. Every time, you know, that, that, uh, you know, I might feel sorry for myself or, or, you know, wail at the, at the thought of, of them not being here anymore or whatever, you know, ultimately feeling sorry for myself is that, uh, I need to remember that, that I got a shot that they didn't get. And, and, at its and if most, you don't live it, yeah, you squander yeah, it. Yeah, at, at its yeah. most root level, like if you want to honor them, 
don't waste that fucking opportunity. Yeah. You know, go uh, crush life. Yeah. And, and that, that was, that was the turning point for so, me. So, so like, so on that vein, like talking with a veteran. So, so say I got, I got a call, not a veteran, say anybody, yeah. anybody that's gone through something like this, that they find themselves stuck. So they've got the bowl of bad emotions. They're the, the, all the, all the bad words, right? They're sitting on the couch and they're miserable. Their wife sucks Their kids suck. They, their whole life sucks. So I'm on the phone with them or I'm talking to them or whatever, <laughs> have a coffee with them. And I'm like, okay, so all this sucks, right? So what are you doing about it? What's your action? Well, nothing. Oh, and you think doing nothing is gonna fix the fucking problem. Yeah. If you're depressed and you're literally not doing, taking any action whatsoever to change the, the situation that you're in, well, you're gonna stay in that situation. You think by sitting on the couch and playing fucking Heyday on your phone or playing Xbox, or watching fucking Netflix on repeat yeah. is going to change the situation. No, yeah. get your fucking ass out of your house and go to the gym. Yeah, but the a beautiful analogy you use is the you know if you're broke down on the side of the road, you know like to me that's a, that's a perfect fucking description. Yeah. You know that uh, are you just going to sit there or are you, you going to fucking change, do something? Change the fucking tire. Yeah. yeah, change the tire and get back on the fucking road. Um, no, absolutely, and that's that's a little you know ahead of ourselves in terms of in terms of. Uh, kind of out, yeah. yeah, outlining the book, but uh, but it's it's an, an apt point to bring up, and that you know now where where you find yourself kind of coming to that you know epiphany, if you will, is the chapter four of circling the drain. And this is where you know you contemplate suicide, the low T and, and brain injury that you didn't even realize at the time, playing a huge huge role in that. But if you could talk about the that miserable uh, night that you that you almost broke and the the catalyst, at least from from what I gathered, was something as simple that we we all have probably encountered at one point or another, which is seeing a couple of your former teammate buddies on a, on a social media post out having a fucking blast without you, which was yeah, they were actually in the, these two these are two two date these are two of my best friends and yeah. we've talked about this and um, they actually it's kind of a funny story. Uh, I gave the uh, seven stages of transition keynote um, one year, and uh, it's kind of like a snapshot of the book, but uh, it's an hour-long keynote it's on the website, and uh, they did not know that that situation happened until I yeah. did. I told the story on stage. Yeah, it's wild. And it was kind of a kick. I, I didn't really even think about it at the time because I'd already moved past it yeah. and forgiven whatever and, and moved past, but they were damn near in tears when I came off the stage and they were like, I had no idea yeah. and I'm sorry and that yeah. will never fucking happen again. Yeah. But they were literally down the road, man. They were down the road from my house out, <clears> having, <throat> a be out having fun and having a beer. Meanwhile, I'm in fucking like uh, the worst place of my life. Yeah. You know, I'm uh, just overly ex exhausted and everything sucks so bad. And, and uh, when I saw that, I was like, I felt like my entire life was a lie. Yeah. I felt like I had been lied to. Go, go join this unit, do this, you're gonna be great, do all this stuff, serve your country. I felt like every bit of it, every deployment, every fight, every firefight, every training op that I ever went on, all of it was for fucking nothing. Yeah. It was all, I wasted the prime of my life. The brotherhood, the, everything that I worked for was all bullshit yeah so it's amazing how something that small can be such a huge catalyst for that train of thought but it, i mean yeah right and <clears throat> it's but it's not just that one thing it's a buildup of yeah. things over time and yeah. there are a million things happening but it's just that one thing that you see that's just like i'm fucking done mm -hmm. fuck this i'm out
I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. Like I'm exhausted. I want to rest. Yeah. So I did, man. I that's that's the that was the <laughs> night that uh, it was probably it was late at night and I just like, family's there at the house and I fucking stormed out, got in my truck and drove down to the beach, and uh, I was totally intent on um, calling it quits. What was going through your mind at that point in terms of how you were actually going to execute it? Had you thought that far ahead? Oh, yeah, I had a gun. I was going to just... You just go down to the beach and, yeah. Knock it off. So what, uh, walk us through how it ended up obviously not happening. <laughs> I was furious. I remember screaming at the top of my lungs, and I was just, I screamed, and I screamed until I couldn't scream anymore. And uh, I remember hearing the waves, and I'm a, I'm a big water guy, you know. Uh, maybe it's because of my... Creek heritage, or the yeah. or the amphibious reconnaissance side, or the I don't know, but but everything something about the water just really equalizes me. Yeah, um, it's there's some you know, and you can talk about frequencies, and and we can get real, we can get real hippie real fast. Yeah, which seals love to do. So it's, um, <laughs> <laughs> seals go hippie faster than anyone when yeah. they get out. Not this one. <laughs> no, not not Mike. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Uh, I was screaming, screaming, screaming. I had it, and I was ready to do it. And uh, I remember hearing the water, and I was thinking about my babies. And uh, I mean, it was, I was right there, Mike. I was right there. I mean, did and, you have uh, gun in your hands? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you ever actually go as far as to putting it in your mouth? No, I didn't do the mouth. I was yeah. like Temple. Yeah. Um, I was smarter than that. I, I've seen people like try to kill themselves and blow their eye out and live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fucking blow their jaw off. Yeah. Uh, no, I was gonna do it, man. And I, I just thought about my girls. I heard the, I was hearing the waves, which are very calming. I mean, people play that shit in their in their bedroom at night. So I always sleep. piss myself when I do that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I hear the water. I, I'm half awake. Woke up from a weird fucking dream. Saying I'm pissing my. No, I'm kidding. But you know, like it was super calming, and then I'm just picturing. You know, at the time, my daughters were were young. Um, I mean, this was, I mean, she had to have been five or six, yeah. my youngest, and then nine, nine, ten, something like that. And they were so cute. You know, that's like pre, pre-puberty age. Yeah. They're so cute when, at that when age. they're still cute and not yeah. attitudinal yeah, little right. shits. Yeah. yeah. Now they're just more. Attitude. Yeah. They're just attitude. spicy. Yeah. Um, I still love them, but they were just so cute, man. And I, I, that was really what did it, man, was, was the responsibility of, of them uh, in conjunction with the waves and uh i just didn't have the balls to do it i didn't have the balls to leave them yeah yeah i'm glad you didn't um yeah so am i was there were, were there other emotions i mean uh, you were angry at first was there a, a point where you know where you kind of came to grips or or there was that maybe relief of deciding not to and wanting to live that, that there was kind of a release of emotion where you where you were crying yeah or, uh, yeah, there was, and that's and but it wasn't it wasn't like that fixed it. Yeah, I think by screaming and just going getting to that point, um, 
like when I went back, I wasn't fixed. It, nothing had happened. It just, there was a release of exhaustion, yeah. like, and, and getting some of that stuff out. Um, but there, it, the problem was, the problem was still there. Yeah. But I had I had made the decision that I did not want to leave my girls. Yeah, and that's that's what I think was a turning point where I needed I started to like okay, what do I need to do to make myself healthy? Yeah, um, and keep in mind like the whole time I'm working. Yeah, full time. I have a, I have a team that works for me. And what what was the nature of what you were doing at that? Point? I was doing like intelligence operations. Uh, consulting yeah like so, for corporations and shit or no no for the military oh, okay for military and, and, and dod but i was basically it was like uh when I, before i got out i was doing um i was an ops intel chief yeah so based ops intel fusion and that's what we i was doing that for a company um and i i built a team to do that actually for second math and uh, we were using a software program and i was teaching teaching guys how to basically take Intel and then make operations based off Intel and get the, it's like office space. I'm like, yeah. I, it's like I take the, the smart people and I try to teach them how to work with the S with the operations people. Yeah. You know, I take the papers from the third floor <laughs> to the second floor. So you're, so you work directly with the customer. Well, yeah. no. Uh. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> what would you say, what you, would do you, say you do here? But that's exactly what, that's exactly what I did was I, got paid a lot of money to um, teach commanders and, you know, uh, S3, which is operations, and Intel, how to integrate them better. So you have that job, you're making good money, obviously, that's, you know, not enough, but you're balancing that with being miserable and all the other fucking bullshit, which leads into the next chapter of Sink or Swim, which, uh, you know, there there is an element of of this that in some ways kind of goes further down the drain. Uh, or circles it harder. Yeah, that's it. That's it. that's the moment. Yeah. That's the moment when you're either going to man the fuck up yeah. and own your shit and and start moving forward and and dealing with some things and get healthy, or you're gonna fucking call it quits. Yeah. And, and this was about a two year process in yeah. which one of those swim decisions uh, is actually calling it quits with your wife after twelve years. Yeah. Uh, in conjunction with being diagnosed with PTSD, which you disagreed with yeah. uh, from the VA, which is pretty common. Um, if you could kind of talk to that, that two-year process, and, and I guess what I'm primarily interested in is obviously you didn't sink. What were the swim moments above and beyond those, those two things? like uh, The Raider Project. Yeah. Can you tell us about yeah, uh, so, how, how that started? And So we... So the Raider Project, like, so keep in mind, I'm going through this while I'm working at the Raider Project, mm-hmm. while I'm working, you know, trying to help people. But at the time, it's all logistical. I'm thinking, I'm thinking jobs. Yeah. And uh, but none of the problems, <coughs> excuse me, none of the problems that I'm getting are actually job related. It's all same issues I'm having. So after that night of the beach, I kind of went into this. I'm going to. Um, be a guinea pig. I'm going to start. So, obviously, and, and it, it, this doesn't happen overnight, right? This is over like a year and a half time frame. But me and the ex-wife called it quits, uh, which was super dramatic, of course. And, you know, I don't care. I don't care what kind of divorce it is. Divorce sucks. I don't care if it's completely amicable and everybody's cool. 
um, it's still going to suck because you have kids, if, especially if you have kids involved. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a fucking disaster, Mike. Yeah, no, I've been through it. Yeah. And, uh, un, but it, it needed to happen. It needed to happen for both of us, honestly. Um, we had just grown too far apart. We were two different people living yeah. in the same house. Yeah. I was just gone too much. And, uh, so, you know, while I was gone, I was turning into one kind of person and she was at home becoming a different type of person. Yeah. And, um, and now we have a, a, a good relationship and we, we parent the children perfectly. Yeah. So, um, but the, between that decision and then helping people, I started to look, I started to realize that there was, that, it, that this was a, a health problem. This was a human being problem. So I started to look at resources that could help with that. As a good leader, I was never going to put a veteran in a program or in a, in a situation where it was not vetted. Yeah. Like I was not going to send some veteran to some hocus pocus weird shit. Either something you haven't done or at least know. That know that it's going to, it's worth something. Yeah. So I started to do that with myself. I started to get real uncomfortable and get real vulnerable and open with people, not general pub public by any means, but doctors and really smart people. One of the first things that I did was I went to a brain clinic and that's what changed everything. And that's the one here in Dallas for two weeks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the they, they sent shut down. Yeah, they sent yeah. shut down. But uh, they did some amazing work with, while, when they were open. The yeah. doctor retired, Dr. Randall. You, you describe some of the process or at least the aftermath, especially the first day and just, you know, how exhausted you were after some of the, the days of, of therapy and treatment. Yeah, that first day after. So they did their assessment and then the first day of tr therapy. Yeah. Where they did all the weird, crazy stuff to you. That's like magnets and, and shit or what? Oh, everything. Yeah. Uh, like you're looking at eye dots. You've got, you've gotten this, you're getting this thing. I don't even know, man. I wrote, I wrote all about it and put it in, in a blog too and, and, and documented the whole process. But basically what, the, what they had done was they realized that you have nerve A and nerve B. You have damage. You have, um, you have water, H2O, that connects the two nerves. When we have damage, those, those connectors are broken. Yeah. So like say for emotion, say for sleep, whatever your brain's not firing correctly. So what they've figured out and the, the brain, there's a, there's another brain Institute here in Dallas. that's crushing it as well. Um, but they figured out literally how to reprogram the human brain, like a computer. It's like remapping those Re, nerve ways, remapping those nerve ways. Yeah. And that's what they did that first day of training, uh, that therapy, I slept, I want to say like 10 fucking hours, Mike. Yeah. It's the first time in five years. I, I got to the hotel, the sun hat wasn't even down, and I passed out yeah. until the next morning. What's the name of the new clinic that you know of? Um, I think it's the Brain Institute for Health. The, isn't the boot, the boot campaign? Um, I, I'd have to look into it. I'd be yeah, I think, uh, my ass if I... Not, uh, Morgan Luttrell yeah. uh, was working with him for a long time, and I yeah. think he's moved on, but... Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I know they're doing some good stuff over there. Um, but that's, so I went through two weeks with that and it was like, and, I, and I'll be honest, when I went there, I told them I was still on the verge of calling it quits yeah. when I went there. I was at my lowest. I had lost my kids. They had moved away. So I was literally in my house on like with a mattress on the floor, like, tumbleweeds were like going through the living room it was just because they, they took everything so i'm just sitting there by myself miserable yeah and like feel like but here i am the special operations guy and i'm supposed to have it all figured out and be successful and yeah here's civilian life and i have nothing i've lost my family 
Um, I had actually already stopped contracting, so I was, I didn't really have a, I started my company and then the Raider project was happening all kind of around the same time. And, but I really didn't have anything really going. Yeah. I was living off savings and, uh, <clears throat> it was dark then. But when I went to that clinic and I went through that two weeks, it was like the fog had lifted. Would you say that that, that two week period, uh, saved your life? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That not, I won't say validating, but the doctor didn't validate my feelings. He validated, he said, this is, he goes, he, well, I, I said, you have a TBI? No. He's like, but you have all these symptoms. I'm like, I don't want to tell you, I don't have a TBI. I never got blown up. Yeah. But like I was never in a vehicle that had that yeah. fucking skyrocketed. I was around 97 door breaches four feet so, away, but. So this is what he says. So this is what he says. And, I, and I've told a lot of people this now. He goes, okay. <clears throat> He, he, and he had worked with a lot of, he had worked with uh, Marcus and Morgan. He worked with a lot of SEALs. He'd done a lot. He, so he knew the special operations community and how he worked. He goes, all right, asshole. <laughs> he goes, how many parachute openings do you have? I was like, okay, two, plus 200. He goes, how many flashbangs have gone off by your feet? I'm like, I don't fucking know, doc. He goes, how many breaches have you done? I don't fucking know. How many AT4s have you shot? I'm like, yeah. fuck. I, a lot. Like, a lot. All of them. He's like, he's like, yeah, what do you think that does to the human brain over, over, a span of a decade. Yeah. He's like, your brain just sits in fluid in your brain. And every time you have one of those concussions, it just shakes a little bit and then yeah. more and more and more and more. And over a period of time, this is why you see football players and got guys in the military with long term kind of kind of off. Yeah. Because they're because they're their neuro neuropathways are not connecting the way they used to when yeah. they were 18. Yeah. So he kind of like schooled me on that. And then I went through all that therapy and, and, uh, he, they, I mean, they look at everything. They look at hormones, they look at everything. Yeah. And were, were any other, you mentioned uh, low testosterone were, was your pituitary fucked up and were there any other things? 100%. Was there anything else that was? Um, there's something that there's something actually in conjunction with that, with your endocrine system. And I, I starts with an L, um, hashtag not a doctor. <laughs> so, but basically it's talking about sex and orgasm. Yeah. So like before I went on HRT, he was, he asked me, he was like, he's like, I want to know how your orgasm feels. Is it like fucking right on? Like you're yeah. 16 years old. Or is it just kind of like, meh? It's like trying to get that last little bit of toothpaste out of the fucking <laughs> yeah, tube. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, he's like, I'm, he's, and I started to kind of laugh and he's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really want to know. I want to know the sensation. Is it a strong sensation? Is it kind of weak? Yeah. And I was like, it's, it's weak. It's not. It's yeah. not what it was when I was in my 20s. I'm not blowing Wonder Woman's uterus out the backside, I'll tell you <laughs> right, that. Right, not, any, not anymore. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a, it starts with an L because he said he had my blood work. And he's like, that makes sense because I'm looking at your blood work. And, and he's like, you're fucked up. Yeah. He's like, you need to be on X, Y, and Z. And uh, so I completely went on an HRT panel. Um, and holy shit, man. Was that just testosterone, or did he put you on pituitary meds also? Or? Um, I went on testosterone. So I went to full panel. So I went on, um, this is actually great. I'm actually filming a video next week called Coming Clean About My Steroid Use. <laughs> I've never talked about this. Um, is this the third mic drop exclusive? Might, might be, yeah. God damn, triple so I, so I'm on, I was on testosterone. I was on um, uh, HCG which is basically helps with testicular atrophy, spirolactone. It's a, it's a whole panel, B12. It's not just one thing. So if you take testosterone, it has, there are negative effects that comes with it. 
So you have to balance that out with a whole thing. So any actual solid hormone doctor takes care of you and puts you on an entire plan. Yeah. And so I went on an entire plan and holy shit, man. Changed your life. It changed my life. It was like, oh, I feel like I'm 27 again. Yeah. Like my mood changed um, because through the brain clinic and the hormone stuff, it was like the fog had lifted. My business started to be profitable. The Raider product started to grow. We started to help more people. I had a clear vision. Before then, I was just like in a fog and I couldn't, I couldn't see through the forest. Yeah. So you get uh, your brain fixed, neural pathways back connecting in an order. You get your hormone imbalance fucking straightened out, which leads into chapter six, which is putting in the work. And so now you, you basically have the, the renewed capacity to be able to put the work in the way that you have traditionally and, and frankly what's required to be successful. One of the things that does happen in this um, is you know, full separation from the wife and kids, and you actually get fired uh, from the job. I get fired from the, yeah. You know, so well, welcome uh, to the real world, Mike. Yeah, I mean, it's like you take fucking two steps forward with your brain, <laughs> your brain fixed, and uh, and your HRT rolling, and then they just kick you right the fuck back. That was the, the that was the biggest <clears throat> that was the biggest eye opener about the civilian <clears throat> world that I ever had. Um, and I'll t- I'll tell you a little bit of what happened. Um, so. I was in my office. I had 26 customers in person in my office. I had three on Cipernet, like on a con- on uh, secret internet, secret internet, yeah. basically downrange. Yeah. So they're in Afghanistan. I'm supporting three people downrange that are operating. God damn. And then I have 26 people in my office that are that are getting helped. And I get it. And I'm just like, so I'm swamped, right? I'm swamped. I get a call from our my program manager. He's like, hey, I send him a voicemail because I'm I'm swamped. And then I'm I, I, he uh, he texts me and said, hey you need to um, call me ASAP. I'm like, dude, I'm swamped. I'll call you as soon as I can. He's like, all right, roger that. So I go take a piss. All right, you ready for this? Yeah. I'm fucking taking, the, I got my dick in my hand. I'm, <laughs> I'm taking a leak in the bathroom on the phone. And he goes, they just canceled your contract. Yeah. Some good foreskin <laughs> shadowing. Jesus and, Christ. And in the, and, and like, what you don't realize about the civilian world is when you get canned, you 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 get your shit and you walk out the door. Yeah. There's no like you get two weeks or you there's a transition out. You don't retrain somebody. Yeah. No, you're it's a Monday Monday afternoon at noon and you get your your box. You put all your shit in it and you fucking go home. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, being fired or or what have you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's it's as as brutal of a process as uh, getting out of the military yeah. with that door slamming. So, so the reason why I, f- I found out that a little bit later after this. The next day, so we developed, me and my team developed a program for Intel Ops stuff, a certain way of doing things that was wildly successful. The company took that program and rolled it out to the entire company. So they stole your shit, basically. But you can say that, yeah. but it's IP of theirs because I worked for them. Yeah. You know, so that's yeah. just, and it was like the first wake up of the real world. But I'll tell you this, here's a, here's a, here's a quick little lesson on, on uh, adversity. Um, that was the best thing that ever happened. One of the best things that ever happened to me, because if I would not have done because of the money and what was happening, if they would not have fired, ended my contract and fired me, I probably never would have started my company. Yeah. I would never have started the Raider project and I would never have done all the things that I've done in the past, yeah. you know, four or five years. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I hear you. I mean, I've had certain professional setbacks and continue to. That, uh, you know, when I look back at the things when they happened, I was like, God damn, are you kidding me? 
you know, and, and every single one of them, you know, whether it's a perspective change or, or legitimately just kind of how it, how it panned out for the better, uh, is that, you know, that's been the case every, yeah. every time, but it's, it's hard to see that to rationalize time. that when, yeah. when you're going through it for sure. Yeah. Um, one of the things you outline, and I think this is good, you know, life lessons for, I don't give a fuck what goal you're trying to achieve, uh, is just a quick little three-step thing where it says you recognize the issue, you develop the approach and then you apply yourself slash move forward. I mean, to me, that's good life shit for anything. I mean, whether you're developing a plan to, to train the dog or become a better shot or a better fucking husband or, you know, whatever is that, you know, that simple, just little, you know, process is key. I had to, I had to go back to my military roots, man. I had to go back to my operational planning. So I had to look at, okay, what is the desired end state and the, what, what effects do we want to happen on the battlefield? Do we, how do we want to kill the enemy? Okay, if we want to get to killing all the enemy in a specific area, by this date in three months, right? Yeah. Okay, well, I need to go create phase lines. I need to go back plan from the end state of what I need to do to get to where my I'm starting at now. Yeah. Because if you just look at the far off goal, it's, it's, yeah. it's, un, it's unsummanable. You're yeah. like, oh, how am I going to fucking do that? Yeah. But I had to look at it. Okay, I, I had to go back to the operations chief that I was mm-hmm. and go, okay, let's put fucking phase lines in, in approach so that I can, I can eat this elephant one bite at a time. One of the biggest problems I see people make, and again, it's pri- primarily relates or pertains to dog training because that's what I tend to be more inundated with than anything else. But I, I see it with anything. You know, I want to be successful, or I want to be in good shape. I want to be a good shot. I want to be rich. I want to have sure. a well-trained dog. Is that you know? Well, what does that look like? Well, fuck, I don't know. But well, how the fuck are you going to get there? Like, if you don't even know what that finished product looks like, you can't work backwards you from there. You have to have a vision you know? at the but, end. Yeah, you got to yeah. know what the fuck you want and then... Cute it. And here's the thing is, here's the thing, that might change. Yeah. What your initial vision oh, yeah. of, the, of the success or whatever you're going for yeah. initially might not be what you actually go for, but you'll never, you'll never get to the point that you're supposed to be if you don't start that journey. Yeah. If it's just a lofty fucking goal without, you know, a way to get there agreed, you'll My wife says, uh, a goal without a plan is just a wish. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely it is. Fucking wet dream while you're at it. Yeah. Uh, which moves us in, speaking of wet dreams, moves us into uh, chapter seven, making it to the top, uh, which there's a couple things in here that uh, I, I didn't know about you as, as much as I've, you know, kind of kept track of, of who you are and what you do for a couple of years now. Uh, I didn't realize you fucking summited Mount Rainier, uh, which yeah. is, is a cool aspect of the book, which is no, no small feat, but uh, a couple of things, you which know, is on, which is on Amazon called Journey <laughs> to the Top. If you want to watch that, it's on Amazon yeah, Prime. In case you were wondering, <laughs> uh, but you know, great pictures and story in there. But the, the thing that I, I really took away from that was just, you know, the, the proper planning and committing to the goal, you know, yeah. similarly like, I mean, dovetailing onto what we just talked about, but if you could just talk a little bit about that fucking trip. Yeah, that um, is as badass as we are. Um, cl- mountaineering yeah. and climbing mountains a is, a, is a fucking different story, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I had the opportunity to do it. I was going to do it with a veteran group and they fell out. And then the guide called me and said, hey, I've got a spot three weeks early. And I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Now, to keep in mind, I had just done a sh- I did a show with Trailblazers, embarrassed the shit <clears> out of myself. I cut my hand. I was their I was their resident fucking tough guy guide, and I cut my hand cutting wood, severed three severed three tendons and a nerve, and had to get medevaced off the show. Good God! Um, yeah, so millions of people watched that. That was cool. <laughs> um, 
it was a great experience though actually that, that experience changed a lot it yeah. changed a lot of things for me um and so i'd come off that now we're talking that was december i got cleared in april um so it, ta- it took two surgeries to repair it in april i went out salt lake city we shot a promo for a uh equestrian therapy for veterans and um i got bucked off a horse and threw my back out oh shit yeah in april god damn and then went back healed from that and went to a chiropractor like three times a week for like three months you're fucking rodeo clowning or what he he was it was stupid um but yeah it was i just got bucked it was there was a um i'm not a horse guy what's the it's like a crazy male horse. What's that oh, called? Mustang? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, wild horse. Yeah. yeah. It was one that hadn't been broken, and it was yeah. in a different pen, and my horse walked up next to it, and it just fucking freaked out. Yeah. And and, and Turns out he off. didn't like my thumb in his ass. No, I didn't, didn't enjoy that. Um, and so I, I got back, dealt with that, and then immediately he calls me. He's like, hey, we got one. We're going like three, three weeks early. So I'm like, fuck. Like, I am not... Ready. physically prepared yeah so i knew that i could i was like i can only do so much physical stuff right i can i can train as much as i, I can and that's that's on me and then I, I knew the one thing that i could not train for was the altitude the, the air yeah so i i rented a uh, a chamber to put in my bed and i i trained with a mask on the stairmaster and doing kettlebells and then um, slept at thirteen thousand feet for three weeks wow and I, that was the only, I was like, I can only do so much physical. That's in my power, right? The, the physical training within the, 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 I think I had like six weeks or a month or something like that to train for it was, is within my power. But the air is not within my power. There's nothing, I live at sea level. There's yeah. nothing I can do about that. So I, I tried to take that equation out of the process. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it did. I mm-hmm. went there. I didn't have, n- I had zero issues with the altitude. Wow. Um, I, I slept in the chamber that night flew to Seattle, immediately went up to the mountain to get to like, I think I got to like 7,500 feet yeah. so that I was back up to altitude a little bit. And then at that point, it was all physical did and you, mental. Did you stay base camp, what, excuse me, base camp wise to acclimate at all? We were supposed to stay at base camp um, for like two or three nights to do training and acclimate. Was that 7,500 or was it higher? 10,000. 10,000. 10,000. And it's Camp Mirror, it's 10,000. And then... Um, but a storm had was rolling in, so we were there for like I want to say like a day, yeah. And then um, the, Dennis was like, "There's a fucking window. Yeah, I'm gonna wake up at one. I'm gonna check the weather, and if it's good, we're going at two. Wow. And we did. You're supposed to typically acclimate for three days, right? But the problem is, is like it's you're supposed to, but yeah, and do training because there's a lot of training involved with ladders and ropes and axes and and how you're walking with you know the crampons and all that kind of stuff. But um, with the weather, when it's time to go, you gotta go. You gotta go. And what's the uh, top out elevation of Rainier? Fourteen one. Yeah. Yeah. So. For a little over, just over four thousand foot of elevation gain, and what do you know about what uh, what length that is that you're gaining that? I, I don't remember the actual like track. Yeah. Um, I know that we left, we stepped off at two, and we summited right at eight o'clock in the morning. Wow. Oh, so shit, that's not too bad. I mean, you guys made pr- fairly quick work of it. Then. I mean, considering <laughs> it was fucking horrible. Yeah, I don't doubt it. But... It was it was horrible, man. It was absolutely horrible. I've never. I felt like 
it was the first time in my life because I would always watch these 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 uh, movies about you know K two and Everest and these people getting left behind and I'm like in my military side I'm like how the fuck do you leave people behind yeah. like fuck that you pick them up and you take them down and, and suck it the fuck up and now you get it after oh that. no 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 when you're up there and you're in that environment you, it it literally is taking 100% of your effort to put your foot in front of the other. Yeah. Like you can barely hold your own, let alone another human being. Yeah. Like that is not a real thing. Yeah. Like if, if somebody goes down up there, Tough shit. it's, it's a fucking bad, it's a bad day yeah. because wow. you don't have the energy to, yeah. like you're not firemen carry somebody yeah. up on a glacier and carry it down. Yeah. My uh, best friend growing up lost, uh, he was a ranger and then went to Delta and lost his fucking, uh, right leg, um, in a helo crash doing a, an assault in Baghdad in 05, but has done a bunch of fucking summits, including Everest surprisingly. And, and the first time he did it, he had to get evacuated out. And I was, I was amazed frankly at, at how they did it. I mean, they had a a fu- basically a sleeping bag chamber mm-hmm. that they threw his ass in threw him over a fucking over the over the saddle of a goddamn burrow that fucking drug his ass down i mean it was just like holy fucking shit he almost died you know altitude just get, sickness yeah. and, i mean he was all fucked up and that crazy bastard went back and and actually did it uh with one fucking leg no doubt uh, a, a section of it i'm not exactly sure if it was you know what the it's still amazing. what the deal was, but yeah, I mean, an, an absolutely amazing feat, and he's done a bunch of other fourteen fourteeners in in uh, different continents, even. But um, and that whole thing was that was that was the that was a thing for me. That was a personal goal for me to come out of recovery, yeah, be healthy, and do something like that. Was that the biggest takeaway? And yeah. Or, or what was it? I mean, it, it was just doing something. You know, like. You should have Vince Vargas on here. He told he said something. He's supposed to come on actually. I'll I'll, I'll just text him and yeah. say get your ass to Mike. Get Mike's your truck. ass on. Yeah, and he's filming mines right now. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but he uh, he said something at the very very first Raider Project Transition Seminar. He said, you know, I joined I joined the army because I would be in the bar and I did not I didn't want to be the only guy in the bar with no war stories to tell. Yeah, <laughs> right. So he joined the he joined the Army Rangers. Yeah, had a good career there and went to Bortac and did that as well. And then he goes, he goes, but now he's like, I'm in the bar and I don't want to be the guy in the bar that only has war stories to tell. Yeah, that's so, interesting. So like, if if the best thing in your life, if, if every the best thing you've ever done in your life is be in the military. Like the end comes for us all, man. Yeah. Like you're going to get out of the military at some point, yeah. whether it's 10 years, 20 years, doesn't matter. You're fucking out at some yeah. point. There's way more to life than There's that. There's way more to life. So if that's the, if, if you peak in high school, yeah. like you're, that's fucking sad. Yeah. And yeah. that was the kind of the concept where I wanted to do it is like, I did not want my legacy and, and the best things of my life to end in November, 2012. Yeah. And just always be in the rear view. And, and just talk and just sit around and talk about my glory days and yeah. that's the best thing that I've ever did yeah one of the things that you pull from this chapter also that uh, you know I, I have to remind myself of I'll be the first to admit but find that it's something that I uh, try to instill in my kids and, and anybody frankly that gives enough of a shit to listen is worrying about the things that you can control and not the things that you can't yeah, you know, and that's a hard thing for people to do, but it's one of the most important things too. What, uh, what was there something, you know, in writing that chapter that 
specifically contributed to you having that as kind of a main talking point? It was just life in general. And I, and I had to get to the realization that some things are self-correcting problems. Yeah. You know, we, I, I would see in this, and you can look at it in parenting, right? Yeah. Like your, your kid, your girl turns 13 and she starts saying, I'm a liberal or I'm a vegan or I'm whatever I'm going to. Yeah. She's getting luggage for her next birthday. If that happens. (laughs) (laughs) So do you know what I mean? But at that age, those kind of things are temporary. They change in a month or three months or so I see a lot of people get up in arms about certain things and that really don't matter. Yeah. Like that just like they don't matter. Like what so-and-so is doing or so-and-so said this or the news said this or Trump said this. Fucking who gives a shit? What are you doing? Focus yeah. on your own shit. Yeah. Like, can you change any of that? No. No. Yeah. So why are you fucking stressed, elevating your cortisol levels and getting yeah. stressed out about shit that you have no fucking say over? Yeah. Yep. No, I, again, it's, it's one of the most important things to constantly remind ourselves collectively. Uh, another good, huge bonus in this uh, chapter is you meet Mrs. Capra. Talk about that if you would. Yeah, that was a uh, very good highlight of my life. And, and is that some of the the frank discussions or points that you make in the book uh, are are incredibly refreshing. Uh, one of which, in being that you know people coming out of that that spiral, uh, and and I think guys like us are are pretty guilty of it, but is you know attaching yourself to a some person. some uh, specifically guys like some crazy fucking you know, chick or, or whatever. But, um, what was kind of the, the deal with that, I guess? Uh, we went, yeah, we were real slow. I wasn't fully transitioning out and I, like I was, I wasn't fully healthy when we met. Um, and of course that caused a little bit of problems initially. Um, but we, she was very patient and she kind of understood of where I was at. So we took things real slow, but she never really wanted to be she never wanted to get in the way of that transition process. Yeah. Like there's some, sorry ladies, there's some crazy bitches out there yeah. that want to intersect themselves yeah. and, and start dictating how things are and yeah. changing things. Yeah. And she just never really did that. She just kind of took it for face value and, and, and kind of went with the, with the plan. And then she really supported in a very healthy way, supported healthy change. Yeah. Did How did you guys meet? Was it, happenstance or what? fucking Graham, man no shit yeah fucking instagram fucking instagram we met actually so you slid into her dms or what um that i'm not gonna we're <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about that uh, uh we have two very polar opposite stories of how we met yeah. and who did what imagine that um i i say my story is since i'm on the podcast my yeah. story is that she laid a very intricate web for me to land in yeah you know, and we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, but no, she was scandalous. Uh, she was friends with uh, Wes of a Rogue American Apparel. Um, he was a, he's a friend of mine. Yeah. And uh, he he kind of connected the, the two dots there. And yeah. And uh, That's yeah, man. And next now we're uh, now we're married and yeah. building a family. And no, it's great shit. It's good, really good to see. Uh, and that's an important element of life. No, no two ways. But that, about but it. that that goes back to like you have to be healthy yourself. Like if you think that you're going to get into a relationship and a, and a relationship is going to fix a problem, it's actually going to exasperate it and make yeah. it worse. Yeah. Like the only way for you to move forward in a healthy relationship is you have to be healthy yourself. Yeah. Each individual, and and this also goes with like happiness, like. Oh, she makes me happy. No, 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 no. Yeah, you got to make you happy. First. You got to make you happy. Yep. And then you guys can be happy together. But yeah. 
your happiness can't be tied to a person. Yeah, agreed, hundred percent, absolutely, uh, and a ver- and a very very important point, I think, for a lot of people out there that uh, find themselves, you know, trying to, to latch on or um, you know connect themselves to somebody to try to uh, keep them from circling the drain, so to speak. It's a, it's an important component, no doubt. Um, well, another thing that I thought was pretty cool was uh, the the. I guess the not dysfunction, but just the the complications rather of meeting somebody new. You've got your ex, you got your kids from that marriage, and, and that whole blend of you know throwing each other into into a new family dynamic. You do a whiteboard bitch session basically with your kids, which I thought was awesome. Uh, I would love for you to just kind of describe how that went down. Yeah, so I actually learned this from one of my mentors, Kirk Weisler, is uh, this thing that we do hard things. And through this healing process and trying to get my daughters, that you know, when they came back and, and now we're, you know, me and Allie have a relationship, I'm trying to rebuild, you know, their, their mom has a place down the road and we're doing the custody <clears throat> thing. And, uh, but it just, I felt like my relationship with them was like gone from what it used to be. Well, how long of a break was there where you didn't see them? Um, honestly, it was only a summer. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was about a summer. And, uh, and but then when they came back, it was kind of, they, we were supposed to do 50-50, but they didn't, they were like, they were young and they were crying and they wanted to be with their, like my baby wanted to be with their mom even though she's like my clone, she loves me. Um, and then because the baby was crying and she wanted to go with her mom, the oldest wanted to go with her, they wanted to stay together. And dude, it was like gut-wrenching. Yeah. And I had to like really, really work hard to rebuild that relationship. Um, so I did this thing called We Do Hard Things. Um, and basically we got out a whiteboard and we went around in circles and talked about anything and wrote down every single thing that hurt someone's feelings, um, bothered them, that made them mad, anything. This is all things that you've done or anything? Yeah, in in conjunction with the family. Things that have happened to the family, things that I've said or done, things that it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know. Before Sarah discovered chumbacasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah Woo-hoo! often thinks about the old boring Sarah. Yes. And wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah. Woo-hoo! Often thinks about the old boring Sarah yes. and wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Ch-ch-ch-chum. 
Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Just anything that revolves hard, uh, something that, that was hard with, the, with us. And the shit that came out of their mouths, man, I was like, uh, it crushed me. And how old were both of them at this time? Eight and 12. Yeah. You know? And. Sounds like they were brutally honest. Brutally honest. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we're all in tears. And one of the things that really crushed me is being, over the years, me and their mother had, had separated, I want to say three times total, over 12 years. Yeah. And they thought every single separation was a full divorce. Oh, really? And then we would get back together. Like, they were, that completely like wrecked them. Cause they, so they would go through this roller coaster, mom and dad's divorced, now they're together. Mom and dad's divorced, now they're together. So they just thought that was happening every single time. And there was little things like, you know, my daughter would go, she didn't want to eat uh, pork cause she liked pigs. Or she was, a, yeah, something silly like that. And I would make fun of her. I'd be like, what do you mean? Call her a Muslim. And, yeah, yeah, like I would lose, I, I like, I, and not like, and just poking her. Yeah. You know, or she, they want, one time they went vegetarian or something. I don't know. It's just silly shit that really you don't, and you're in the big scheme, you don't think it's a big deal, but to a little girl. It was huge. It was huge. I like crushed her soul because this was a stance. This is something that she thought of on her own. She stood for. You're, you're trivializing something that's important to her. Right. Yeah. And, and I just didn't know the, all the little things that made such an impact on them. Yeah. And so we talked about everything, me deploying, talking about me being gone so much. I mean, everything. So this whole, this whiteboard was like as big as, maybe big, a little bigger than that, that notebook. And we just like, it was like around the corners and the margins everywhere. <coughs> and the whole purpose of it is like, okay, we, we wrote all this bad shit down. And at the end of it, I looked at him and I said, you know, and basically in tears and said, you know, like all this stuff has happened and we're still together. We're still here. Like we all love each other and we're still together. And the whole point of it is, is like, even though these hard things happen, we get through them and we're still a family and we still love each other. Yeah. So we kept that, uh, up as a reminder in their room, I want to say for like six months. And then they came to me, um, and, and said, dad, I think we're good with this. We can delete it. We can erase it. No way. And they were like, we're, we're good. And so now that's kind of a staple is like, we're every family is going to have hard times yeah. things are going to happen but we get through hard times together yeah and that was a big turning point in our in our relationship was was that little thing that i learned from kirk yeah no it's a great concept uh, i can see it uh you know it's not fun no no <laughs> it's I, not mean, fun. I can see it potentially being beneficial with you know a, a teacher with students a coach with athletes right. a fucking you know a manager or excuse me, boss with employees. I mean, giving people the, the ability to air grievances and, and, uh, you know, blow off the steam that, uh, or the pressure that's, you know, making the steam that's been bottled up, uh, I think is, is very helpful. Cause it just, it just, it just sits and like grows like a cancer yeah. if you don't deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, to me, there's two, just like with anything, there's two sides to that, right. Is that on the kid's side, that, that simmer just brims and brims and brims and, and reaches a boiling point. But on the same token, if you don't realize 
the things that you've done that have bothered people or pissed them off or rubbed them wrong or, right. or made them feel slighted, you can't fix them either. Right. You know, so something like that, I think, is is very beneficial um, and really needs to come from from a leadership standpoint, needs to be initiated by, you know, the the tier up, you yeah. know, the, the leader from the leadership side, I think. But because we drive the train. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really, really neat, uh, neat story. I appreciate it. Um, you talk about this, you know, so moving forward, kind of you develop a, a three phases or keys to happiness. Um, super cheesy and simple. Well, but it, it's very, I think very effective. Uh, I think things need to be simple. Um, but it did make me think of, of one thing, uh, in terms of a good recipe for the healthcare fix in this country, which I'll, I'll talk to afterwards, but there was a, a period at, at which, you know, before you kind of learned the hard way, these three keys, which we've already talked about a little bit, but there was a combination of Zoloft and Lunesta oh, by shit. what I would consider a grossly negligent bordering on criminal criminal negligence at the, at the VA with a doctor that, that prescribed those two things, which you found out the hard way you're not supposed to, and, and she essentially shrugged and laughed about it. Yeah. Uh, talk, tell us that story quickly. So during this transition process, I really, I was trying to stay away from, um, any sort of the, the VA starter pack, which they initially gave me. And I was struggling with some things. I, I went through kind of another dip of, and, and I was fine, but I was just having a hard time with the girls in life and trying to like get things back on track and dealing with some other stuff. And so I did, I, I finally caved and said, okay, I'm going to take this pill. It's going to chill me out. I'm not going to be so stressed. And what she gave me <clears throat> is not supposed to be taken together. Yeah. And she told me, take them together. It'll make you relax and you'll sleep better. And you'll wake up the next day and you'll be fine the next day. And what happened was I went into, I started to go into respiratory arrest. So basically what it was doing was slowing my breathing down. Is it the same like serotonin problem of opioids where if, it, if yeah, there's too much that basically. It basically kills your fucking breathing? Yeah, it yeah. was basically my breathing was being slowed down, but because I was taking the sleep meds, I was falling asleep simultaneously. Yeah, God damn. And that sent me into like a fucking panic attack because here I am thinking, and, and we had we had a guy at Marsoc that died from this exact thing. Wow. And then, and then um, what's his name? Uh, Rob the Sniper who got in trouble for uh, peeing on the Taliban because mm. killed, they killed his teammate. Yeah. Um, he died from the same, from, from a similar thing from the VA meds as well. How is, how is that not a, an understood contraindication that, uh, yeah. So in my, so here I am going into <coughs> respiratory arrest. I can't breathe. I can't, my, my lungs are literally shutting down and I'm falling asleep yeah. and in my mind, I'm starting to panic and I'm thinking, holy shit, my, these two guys just died from this. This mm -hmm. is it. I'm going to die. Luckily for me, Allie was there. She got me up. She tried to keep me awake. I think she gave me coffee. Like we, and I was like almost having a panic attack. And I was basically getting like going into like a medical, like, yeah, like cardiac death. arrest almost. Yeah. Yeah. Not car, uh, yeah, a respiratory arrest. Yeah, respiratory arrest. Fucking Christ. And, and so, the next day I went, or not when the next appointment, I went and talked to her and told her I was pissed. And she was like, huh, well, that's not supposed to happen. I guess we won't do that again. That was and, all she said. Yeah. Did you lose your mind at that point? Or what? I never went back. So. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, there. You know, I don't want to paint the VA with a broad brush. However, I will say there's there is a lot of 
what I would say incompetency, uh, to put it lightly, um, or just lack of giving a fuck that takes place where unfortunately there are a number of stories. There's also some good, very good doctors and nurse practitioners and uh, medical professionals. Yeah, and you know what? I've VA, and but, since that moment, like we've had, a, I've kind of had a coming of Jesus with some people at the VA, and yeah. you know, the care has been much better. Yeah, no, that's you good. know, but that that <clears throat> specific thing, unfortunately, I feel like probably happens too much. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you know, looking at the grand scheme of you know how you went from uh, being in, at the lowest of the low, where you've got a pistol to your your forehead or your temple, rather. Um, to where you are now, um, there's a couple of key things that, that stand out. Number one was getting your mind right, literally and figuratively, in terms mm-hmm. of you know the neuropathic pathways, making sure that your brain was rewired and healthy, step one. Step two, making sure that your hormone uh, imbalance is now balanced because it's as equally as important and effective in terms of regulating what needs to be regulated so that you can do everything properly. Oh, yeah, properly. dopamine and everything, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the next three are, are follow-ons to just further that that successful pattern that you uh, outline in the book that, again, are, are enormously um, important, which we already talked a little bit about, but which is, number one, a sleep routine. You know, the importance of getting good rest a certain amount. Um, I was wondering if you could offer just a couple of tips for good sleep that you learned uh, that you talk about. With Actually, I, I got to give all credit to Jeff Nichols, man. That, yeah. Did he talk about his sleep hygiene? Yeah. yeah. So if you're listening to this, rewind, go yeah. to Jeff Nichols' yeah. podcast yeah. and listen to we'll, that. We'll, but, yeah. but essentially, he he taught, um, he basically taught me that um, why are you not looking at your sleep hygiene and your routine um, just like your training sessions? Mm-hmm. Why are you not building a routine and, and muscle memory to go to sleep? So I had to start doing that. And and through the hormones, through the hormones, through the brain stuff is what re- and that and his process is what really um, started to get my sleep in check. And when that started to happen, man, everything changed. Yeah. Sleep just, is so important. Yeah, just the, the three questions I have as it relates to your sleep pattern is, do you use a chili pad? Uh, no, but I'm about to buy the, uh, I, I keep the house at 68, so it's yeah. like a fucking frozen yeah. tundra <laughs> yeah. in my house. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, then do you use any type of sleep mask or light blocker or anything like that? I block the entire room out. Yeah. There's not one light or anything. Okay. And then uh, last but certainly not least, what time do you go to bed by a certain time? We we try to. I try to be in bed no later than 10. Really? Um. Yep. And if I turn my phone off, like yeah. uh, fucking you will not get a hold of me. People are always texting me late at night. And yeah. I'm like, nope, not yeah. going to get me, bro. Yeah. Um. And then if I don't, if there's something going on, uh, I've, unless there's just something that's like I have to catch a flight or something like that, I will I will put everybody off to get eight hours, a yeah. minimum of eight hours. Yeah. Okay. So if, if something happens and I have to be up till midnight, I'm not waking up till eight. Yeah. Or when my body wakes up, but yeah. I will not set an alarm until eight. Yeah. And if I have a meeting, a phone call, they will have to get over it. Yeah. Because that's what's priority. Yeah. No, I, I like it. Uh, all right. So step one, good sleep routine. We've established that. Step two is fitness. Already have talked about that kind of randomly. It's going to be very specific to the person in terms of you know injuries. Or, yeah, it does. Or and and people get wrapped around. I got wrapped around the axle with fitness. Is when I was going through my transition and I was having all those issues. I was trying to train like I was still on a team. Yeah. 
And I'm like, and and I had to get to the point to where I was like, I needed to train for me, yeah, not to be on a team. That's a great point, and especially for former military or cops or just you know A or double A personalities that you know as they get older still want to feel like the 19 year old that they were, you know, or 25, whatever, <laughs> you know, the young strapping buck that can fucking do you know everything. And and yeah, you got to realize one. You can't do that anymore. Two, even if you could, you shouldn't. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and lastly, and most importantly, like to me, the biggest thing is is just fucking be active. Yeah. Like, I mean, even if, even if it's fucking bowling versus sitting on the couch, like, well, fucking bowl then. You know, yeah. the, the micro decision of of move and be out there and and you know do things that are fun and and be outside, connect with nature, whatever is that. Just get the fuck off your ass and do get something. Get off the couch and yeah, do something. Just do and something. That's, and that's really what I was talking about. Fitness is like really. It's not about being the. It's not competing with the the twenty year old version of you. Yeah. It's con, it's competing with the the current version of you today. Yeah. Like yeah. do the best that you can do fitness wise for yourself today. Yeah. Oh, it's great great points. And then last, certainly not least, eating healthy, which. All three of these things combined are kind of the the trifecta recipe for success. Interestingly, and and from a shitty standpoint, is that uh, if one of them is out of whack, it can you know very quickly erase the other two. But well, if you look at how I kind of came about that, as I started looking at really successful people, yeah. And if you look at really successful people, they have fucking hardcore routines. They all do some sort of physical. They all sleep well. Yeah. They all do some sort of physical fitness. They all eat healthy, whether yeah. they have like, they use meal prep, they, yeah. but they eat relatively healthy. Yeah. Um, and that's like their focus. Yeah. They take care of themselves first. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, there's there's really five key points that, that were what made the difference for you. Getting your brain right, getting your hormones right, sleep pattern, fitness, and, uh, and eating correctly. Those five things, you call them the five pillars of health or success or whatever, but the one thing that it did make me think of is that, you know, not to get off on too big of a tangent politically here, but healthcare is a huge fucking uh, polarizing political issue in our country. And, and oh, yeah. you know, to me, it's it's looking at it all wrong, frankly, is that you've got, you know, the overwhelming majority of the population looking at it from, you know, or, or not being able to see the forest for the trees type of thing is that, you know, you're, you're trying to fix a problem and you're in, but you're using you know, language to solve a math problem, right. you know, is that you're, you're never going to make, I mean, we, we live in a country with, you know, between 330 and 350 million fucking people. And the fact is, is with that many people with as many or as big of a percentage of that volume of people in this country that are, are chronically fucking ill, there is no fucking formula that works. There, there isn't. You know, it's not, well, this group has this fucking health care plan, and if we do this and subsidize that, then this will work. I got news for you. It's a fucking pyramid scheme. 100%. It's a money-making scheme. It's never going to fucking shake out when you've got more people that are sick than healthy, and that's where we're at. And to me, the, the fix is personal fucking accountability and responsibility of every motherfucker <laughs> yeah. out there of doing those five things. Right. If everybody applied themselves for those five things, at least to the best of their ability, is that that in and of itself as an unintended consequence would fix the fucking healthcare problem because you would, you would now tip the scales. Oh, wait a scales. minute. They have to own their shit and, yeah, that's and why take it's not responsibility. Gonna yeah, that's why it's <laughs> never going to happen. But, <laughs> but you know, there, there's, there's such a huge element of that that I think so few people realize how important 
those things are to, you know, ultimately being successful, which leads to the really the last thing, which is no less important, but uh, is kind of a, a flip of, of the other side of the coin, because those five things are, are a little more tangible in terms of action items. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're physical things yeah, that you can take. They're, yeah, you, they're tangible actions yeah. that you can, you can, you know, perform. The last one that you talk about, and, and again, is if you had a coin and you have five, those five things on one side, this would be on the other, in my opinion, which is finding your purpose. You know, because all of those other things, including, you know, just like having a lot of money, if all those other things aren't, aren't where they need to be, is you're going to be fucking miserable, is that you can be the, the healthiest, uh, you know, most productive motherfucker, period. But if there's not a reason behind all of that, you're lost. then you're going to be fucking miserable, you yeah. know. And everybody has a different method as to how they find that. Was there something that, that, that was specific to helping you find your passion or purpose. Yeah, absolutely. It was, but it, I, I had to rewind and say it was the journey. So like if you, it, so if I talk to somebody that's struggling, right, you're on the couch and you're that guy in the bowl of bad emotions and you're not sleeping. Well, guess what, motherfucker? Like your new passion, your new purpose is getting a good night's sleep. Yeah. Maybe you wake up in the morning and your whole day revolves around going to bed at night. Like yeah. you're setting yourself up for success until you knock out that pillar. Yeah. So it's it's the journey of that. So you start with that and you're like, okay, I've got my sleep under control. Now I'm gonna get I'm gonna get physical. Yeah. And now I'm gonna that's gonna be a journey, you know, that's my that's my passion. That's my mission. Yeah. And then once you once now you're healthy and okay, now what do I do? I have no fucking clue what to do. Yeah. Okay, then just start doing something. Yeah. That's the, the biggest problem that people think people have is they don't do they don't start. Yeah. They don't execute until they think they know what they want to do. And so, so like, I didn't know that I was going to do YouTube and write this book and do all the things and start all these businesses that I have. And I had no idea. Yeah. But what I did was I started on the journey and the journey took a what I hit a Y. I went down another way and I didn't want, and I got to my point of destination. Yeah. So yeah, starting the journey led, led you to the destination yeah. that you didn't but even you'll, know. But you'll never, you'll never find it unless you allow yourself mm-hmm. to start. Sure. Something that was beneficial uh, was having your wife, your now wife, uh, coincidentally or, or strangely enough, helped you kind of find your passion in terms of what you were doing, video yeah. editing. You know, can you can you talk about how? Yes. That, that I, so she kind of recognized that I was doing some training stuff and I was I was doing business, but she recognized really quickly like where I was miserable where I would do things and be like, she would look at my face and be like, yeah. you're fucking miserable doing this, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I don't want to do this, but it's a job. So I feel like it was, I had to do it. It was the right thing to do um, because that's what special operations guys do. They go train. Um, <clears throat> and then I would, and then we would do things where I would put on a production. Like we did this thing called smoke check and it was really more of like a, it was more of a production of, you know, getting guys going through these scenarios and it was much bigger and broad and we were shooting episodes around it. And she started to realize that when I did those sorts of things, like my eyes lit up Yeah. and she, she noticed it. So she like sneakily, like women do, slowly started to kind of sneak those kind of projects in. And the more I did it, the more that uh, it just, it, it became like, I felt like a kid in a candy store. Yeah. And... And then when when Discovery called us and they said they wanted me to be on the show, I was like, I don't have fucking time for that. Mm. And they sent me this long list of paperwork and personality profile shit. 
And I was like, fuck this. I've she got la- shit to do. She laid the Instagram web down on you. She uh no, she filled it all out. I know, but I mean in terms of how yeah. she how she forced you into yeah. yeah. She yeah, she she actually filled it all out, submitted it, and they were like hired. No shit. And then when I went down there and I was helping produce episodes and working with it, it I just fell in love with the whole process. Yeah. Fell fell in love with the whole artistic creative process. And I was like, Yep, this is what I need to be doing. Can you talk about the show a little bit? Yeah, it was uh, so it was a completely cheesy show of uh, <laughs> they took uh, me and two Navy SEALs and we each had a team and uh, we were uh, supposed to be guides uh, to, to go execute these missions for these scientists. And we were escorting scientists. One was in Papua New Guinea, one was in uh, Ecuador, I think. And then I was in Bolivia and uh, it was it was fun. Uh, after I left, so the ratings were really good, and I'm gonna, and this is from the producer, not me, um, from Discovery. The ratings were pretty good the first couple episodes. When I left the show, they tanked. Yeah, no they sure. said, yeah, they said it was just not very who, who strong. Who were the two team guys? Uh, for the one guy was Sean. He, I don't know if you know him. Um, and the other guy, oh, he wasn't a, it wasn't a seal. He was an SBS guy, oh, Gaz. Okay. Fucking coolest dude ever. He was like a mix between like. Uh, Bear Grylls and James Bond. <laughs> and I was like, how can I compete with yeah. this guy's accent? And he's yeah. just super fucking cool. But yeah. uh, but anyways, it, that was the show. And um, it was, I think it was six episodes on Amazon. So you can, if you guys are watching, you can guys go watch that. Watch me cut myself. Yeah. It didn't happen the way they edited it. <clears throat> it but, never does. But it, yeah, it's, it's good. It made for good TV. Yeah. Um, oh, it's a good show. But that whole process, when... Um, I, when I came back from that, it was an eye opener and, um, that's when we started, uh, production. So we actually, uh, shortly after that, we sold a business and we sold the business to enough money to make payroll for the company for a year. And we were like, okay, we're going to give this YouTube thing a go. And if it fails, we're fucked. Yeah. Um, but we gave it a, we, we had enough money in the bank to make payroll and to keep things going for a year. And we did it. Yeah. We did it, and it and it was why it's successful, and things have things have like just taken off from there. Yeah. Well, so if you could kind of just uh, describe what it is that you do now. I mean, I know there's a lot of different things, <laughs> oh, shit. but like, what is it that I don't do? Um, so I guess first and foremost, you know, we have the main YouTube channel. Uh, with that, took um, you know, I never I never wanted to be one of those people that say you're a tv star right but you're always looking for your next gig you're not really making enough money to like live off forever mm-hmm. i wanted to, i wanted to go about it the other way i wanted to build infrastructure that could support my lifestyle for a long period of time and if say that i got popular in on the internet and people looked at me and they looked at me for inspiration and motivation and or and even and let's be honest where to put their money yeah whether it be the books whether it be one of my business whatever but I wanted to give them a vein to spend money if they so choose. So that's what we started doing is I started really focusing down on businesses in conjunction with media. Yeah. So we have Johnny Slicks is one of the business that we, so I'm, I'm, I'm a business partner in that. We built a lab. We do everything in house. Um, we have a coffee, we have a small coffee company. I have my own gym, um, and right next door to my, my corporate office, we, we bought a, a ship on site. Uh, it's like a, mailbox etc but does all like business um printing so say you need business cards a banner you know canvases whatever a book yeah. we do it all um did they did you publish your own book then or print? i did we yeah. pub- I published, published my own book um and 
So we really started, and now we're looking at our a, a new acquisition for another company this year. Yeah. So basically, every year I've bought a business or yeah. started a business. Yeah. And uh, so I do that, and then, but my main focus is uh, content and media. Yeah. So writing books, um, putting out content and media uh, for all the businesses, and, and myself. Yeah. That's a so that's that's what I do. We have 17 employees yeah. across the across all the businesses. What is the uh, the main premise behind the YouTube channel? Uh, I love it. I mean, like what, uh, what <laughs> content wise, really, it's like, it's a, I feel like it's a reality show. Yeah. It's a reality show that circ that, that comes across, um, all of our businesses and our lifestyle and what we have to ding and what we have to do. And, um, I, I read a book called, where are you going to be in five years or something like that? Kirk actually mentioned to it and it, it, the book's kind of, kind of cheesy. I don't believe in the five-year plan. I, th I think that's a fucking retarded way to look at things because who the hell knows what's going to happen in five years i just yeah. i think just go move fucking forward yeah move forward and then you'll get to where you need to be as long as you just keep moving forward yeah um but what that book really did for me was it it helped me outline my personal mission statement so my I, so my personal mission statement is to inspire motivate and educate others to live a more healthier and successful life yeah so that's really what the channel's about. The channel's about that, yeah. and showing showing that through um, uh, an example. Yeah. What is the name of the channel? It's my name. Oh, okay. Yeah. In the book, you have in the very back, you've got a good contact page of where everybody can find you, uh, things of that nature. Uh, if you would just kind of offer. You know, for for people that that may want to enlist any of the things that you have going on, uh, what they are and where they can find you. Yeah, so we, my my friend Josh Hansberg and I, at the request of uh, of our my followers, we wrote several training books. Um, one for one to, one for the Marine Corps, uh, basic training, uh, one to get into reconnaissance, and one to go to selection. And uh, those actually have been wildly successful for the DEA, for firefighters, for law enforcement, um, uh, and just old guys looking to get back in shape, yeah. you know, and to, and to rebuild a foundation. That's what USMC Prep is really a foundation. So those books with uh, some other daily training programs, um, and then you can find those. Everything is on my website. You can find all of that there, and uh, and you, people can message me. I'm I spend a lot of time replying to people yeah. um, through Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, uh, okay. it's I feel like connecting with people is important, and hopefully, I can continue to do that as things grow. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, at scale. Know. Yeah, uh, where where handle wise can people find you? Always uh, my name. Good luck. Yeah. Find, good luck re doing it. But actually, yeah. if you type in Nick K O U, I think on anything. Yeah. If you type in Nick K O U. Or Marine Raider on anything, uh, you can you I will pop up. Yeah, all right. I'm pretty unique. Yeah. Pretty unique name. Any other services that you provide uh, company wise or? Anything? Yeah, we actually just started. Um, well, this past year we started a thing called Surviving the Cut, and it's like a weight loss group and uh, really educating people on their nutrition and what they're putting in their mouth because that's I think. I don't think it's necessarily such a willpower. The willpower comes into play, but I think it's the knowledge of what to yeah. eat because there's so much misinformation out there. Well, yeah, I mean, that's one of the biggest problems with diet period uh, or nutrition period is that even even within the realm of of knowledge is that there's there's <laughs> so much out there that conflicts one yeah. another, you know, that well, it's... like the government's like, yeah. eat this, it's healthy. Yeah, I mean, like... But it's, if, meanwhile, it's full of sugar. Yeah, but I mean, like, you could you could spend a fucking week studying being a vegan... 
being on the other end of the spectrum doing a carnivore diet, right. the paleo diet, the ketogenic right. diet, the fucking eat right for your time, you know, and all five of those are, I mean, it's like a goddamn religion. Yeah. Is that every one of them is is 100% convinced that that is the only fucking way to do it and everybody else has got their head totally buried in their ass. Yeah, so, we don't we don't do any of that. It's more I, I think people unfortunately and and, and some people are going to go crazy, but I think people eat too much. Oh, for sure. So like if you look at if you look at somebody's, you know, their BMR, yeah. right? And you look at what their body does and then what their work their work um workout output is, yeah. what their actual caloric burn is. Yeah, most people are fat asses. Most people just eat they're eating too much. They yeah. don't realize that that sandwich they just put in their mouth is yeah. fucking 1500 calories that's your daily allotment for calories if you're not doing shit yeah yeah and yeah. so i think that's the that's the biggest um thing so we actually start our next next group on the 15th of september oh nice so we're running one right now yeah. and then uh yeah cool is there anything uh, you want to add no just fucking never quit never surrender and keep yeah. moving fucking forward man I can like, rock and roll. Yeah, don't quit. Yeah, amen. Juke, juke, yeah. don't quit. <laughs> <laughs> and then pivot. Yeah, that's right. Amen. All right. Uh, last but not least, or a quick shout out to uh, Origin Labs again, our sponsor for the podcast. Uh, they make all of the Jocko <laughs> supplements as well as their own uh, boots, jeans, which I own uh, several pairs of their jeans. Uh, a lot of the supplements I take. Uh, as well as uh, at some point when I get back to rolling around getting sweaty with grown-ass men on the ground again, uh, I'll probably rock one of their uh, jujitsu geese. But uh, great company, uh, phenomenal sponsor of the podcast. Go check them out at Origin Labs. If you own a dog, go to teamdog.pet. Uh, I say it every fucking time. That is my online training. It's a very inexpensive subscription for a lot of content. Uh, that you can get a host of different things. All of my products that I have available are also um, on that or accessible from that website. So teamdog.pet, all things dog. Even if you don't think you want to know how to train a dog at a certain level, uh, it will teach you more than uh, I think most people even realize. I've gotten a lot of phenomenal feedback from that. So teamdog.pet. Again, Nick, thank you for coming. I uh, appreciate you uh, coming all the way out here and uh, sharing your amazing story. The book, Excommunicated Warrior, uh, I do recommend getting it. Uh, even if you've not been a veteran, there are a lot of uh, transferable and paralleled life lessons that come out of this book that, uh, that are very, very applicable and incredibly helpful. Uh, what I like probably the most about all of it is that is two things. Is one is how applicable it is toward, uh, you know, a lot of different walks of life, but also how simple it is. You know, so many books nowadays you read that are, just so overcomplicated that you don't really get much out of it because they bounce around so much and they and they confuse you and overcomplicate things. This it's not elementary, but it's very simple in, in how you approach uh, these different uh, kind of keys to success and, and sharing your story with the anecdotes that go along with it. Very powerful, incredibly effective. Excommunicated warrior, go pick it up or choke yourself. Um, last but certainly not least, uh, you the listener, thank you for continuing to support us week after week. Without your support uh, and all of you continuing to listen, uh, we would not be able to have the platform that we do. So thank you, as always. And until next time, this is Mike Trout. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, 
real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.